Hello and welcome everyone to the 90th episode of Everyday Journal, your favorite officially most deceptively named bi-weekly podcast. <laughs> Callum, how have you been doing? How's it going, man? I'm good. I'm very good. I was about to say the big 9-0. Doing pretty well. Like, uh, really been playing loads of Legacy this last week. Loving, like, playing some new cards and stuff. There's, there was the Man Traders event on the weekend just gone. Um, yeah, it's been like kind of non-stop Legacy, actually. Really, really loving what's going on. How about you? Yeah, that's amazing to hear. Actually, I, I haven't touched Magic Online ever since the great Wednesday MTGO catastrophe of 2020. For those who <laughs> oh, aren't yes. playing on Magic Online, Magic Online, Online utterly broke on when, last Wednesday, basically, when they introduced a new update. And without getting into too much details, they I think the, the technical term is fucking screwed it up. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's definitely what's been like put into notebooks and stuff. Like, It's like if you imagine you have a robot and it just like kind of falls on its back and starts twitching and you see some sparks coming out of it. <laughs> like, you know, it's still got the inner workings to make it work, but it doesn't really do what it's meant to do. It was it was pretty funny because I, I had faith that they'd fix it pretty within a couple of days, but like the bad things were really, really bad. It was just really funny, I thought. But uh, it, It's funny that we speak about a scope of a couple of days for a um, self-proclaimed top five esports company. Meanwhile, people were mm. like writing their own guides about how to install their software because nobody could yeah. get it to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, well, the it, thing, well, the thing is, I actually managed to install mine straight away on the first day and could play. I played like a cube draft or two in that evening, but most people couldn't get in. So I have no idea why. But the thing is, when you reinstall it, you, you erase all your history and match history which is a real shame for a lot of people so yeah I, I don't keep track of things i'm i'm not one of those people and i'm quite lazy with that kind of stuff <laughs> so i just like yeah okay it's all gone whatever um but for other people i was talking to tom hep who wanted to like go over his matches and record it for youtube and talk to people about certain matchups and stuff and it's obviously a big loss for him because he was using lots of his past matches to cherry pick the good and interesting ones so yeah, it's, it was a real shame that it happened. It could have been avoided quite easily, I'm sure. But here we are. Yeah, here we are. So it's mostly back to normal now, right? There, there's no bugs. I, I mean, yeah. no, not it, previously there's still something. Bugs. There's like a visual bug when you start the uh, part of the bar where all your stops are. It's like really far at the end and it looks kind of funny. But as far as I know, everything's mostly back to normal. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, yeah, that's... That's what ha has kept me from playing, um, but I'm I'm already reinstalling now, and now it's probably gonna work cool. for me as well. But I've been I've been mostly busy with uh, different stuff. I've been working a lot on our hotel reopening that's gonna come in December. I I just told you guys I sold my second most expensive safari ever for I think twenty twenty seven. Actually, <laughs> this what, is going to be a beep because we actually sell the Safari for less than what the clients actually end up paying because that's how just like how business works. <laughs> so. what, 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 what is involved in a Safari that expensive? Like how many lions and tigers do you see? Um, if you see any tigers, you can consider yourself lucky because there's okay. no tigers in Africa. <laughs> right. Good <laughs> answer. Hashtag fuck the tiger. Um, that's... <laughs> That, that's something this is safari guides sometimes save and people keep asking for the tigers because that's actually a thing that sometimes happens right uh, so the biggest thing is that you pick the most expensive camps it's, um it's not so much about which parks you go to because the park fees they are negligible um they're basically like 80 dollars a day for masamara and that, that's not the big deal the big deal is really the camps and the camps the client selected they are like super super top-notch and the, the service providers and everything and the guides they're like absolutely top-notch and afterwards they also stay on the beach but usually the beach, beach extension isn't that expensive anyway cool. and it's 
way in the future so it's not like oh we're going doing some like covert travel or something it's actually next autumn so almost like a year away and hopefully that's gonna work because places are booked out like crazy like i was i could barely get those rooms and those tents and the safari camps because everybody who wanted to travel this year they've been postponing you know everybody's on hold and now everybody so basically next year in kenya and i guess most other places it's gonna see double the amount of tourism that would have been there normally so if, if you want to go on a safari better book your places now yeah everything is just like postponing i have two music festivals just postponed until when they can go ahead so i'm just like okay well at least I have them in my back pocket and stuff but uh it's gonna be weird when we get out of it and everyone's going everywhere but that's cool yeah <laughs> in speaking of postponing we actually have a very special guest on our show that whom i wanted to have on the podcast basically ever since he Drumroll won the Legacy GP last year, the last Legacy GP we've seen thus far. And that's my good friend Mark Eric Prokt from Munich. Mark, hey man, how's it going? Good to have you on the show. Hey Julian, hey Callum, thank you so much for having me. It uh, was actually a great honor for me that you invited me. I love your show, I hear all of your episodes, um, actually in double speed, but yeah, I hear, <laughs> of, hear all of them. And yeah, it's great to be here, thank you. Mark, what have you been up to? How's your day been? We just heard um, that you you don't only play Magic, you play a ton of other games, right? <laughs> that is true. I love all kinds of card games. Like after Magic, my second favorite one is MECCG. That's Middle Earth Trading uh, Collectible Card Game. That's a really great game. It's dead since I think 99 or something. The last card was produced and it has a ton of flavor. I love it. But uh, actually today I played a different game which actually fits your intro sound, I think. Unfortunately, we didn't hear it today, but yeah, your intro sound, I like it a lot. Uh, Pokemon, right? Yeah, yeah, this is allegedly um, that uh, <laughs> hashtag copyright infringement. It might be Pokemon. I've heard, I've heard people compare it to it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. What, what, what's your favorite Pokemon? What's your, which do, do you play like, a, I've never played Pokemon. Do you play like a single Pokemon or do you play like? 20 different Pokemon? How does it work? Oh, you can have up to six Pokemon on the field, but only one is fighting, at least in the format that I play. I play the old format where there's only the original 151 Pokemon allowed. It's called uh, Pokemon 99, and I have just started playing it. I actually played my first match today, uh, right before we started the recording here. Um, I played uh, two matches actually with, with my deck and I just had to because I think today about 15 letters with um, Pokemon cards arrived since I ordered all of them on <laughs> the weekend. And um, it has been a great feeling. Just the, the original Pokemon, as I said, you can have up to six on the board. And I think my favorite Pokemon um, is, uh, I think, Dre how is it the the english name the dratini like the original form from dragonite I, I really like that one that was my favorite one when i was a child and um i also like mew a lot which is i guess kind of mainstream but i like him he's cool so that format sounds a little bit like old school 93 94 so you can only play like the original cards uh, and is that kind of similar? It's it's, it's exactly similar. It's exactly that. It's just the original sets. It's just whatever has been released in the first year, actually. That's a Pokemon base set, Jungle and Fossil and eight promo cards. These promo cards have been given away if you went to the movies in 99. <laughs> and they I must remember be getting really expensive. They, they are not that expensive. The most expensive cards are just from the base game The because collectors buy them there. The most expensive cards are like Charizard, uh, how are they called Bulbasaur and uh, um, 
Tortoise, yeah, the, the the last illusion of Squirtle, right? It, it's so funny because in Germany, like we all grew up with Pokemon, um, with the German names of Pokemon. So I also I I never really know the English, like I barely know the German ones, and I even less know about the English names of the Pokemon. So t to me, it's Shiggy, not Squirtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But actually, if you guys are interested in the people that are, that play old school Magic, I can only recommend the format, and it's um you should definitely the, the format is growing right now, and you should definitely. Despite the trainer cards, which are basically the spells in the game, you need a lot of rare trainer cards, which all the decks share basically, and they are still like one euro each. I I'm really surprised because the Pokemon they are not that much more rare, right? But they cost hundreds or even thousands of euros in case of Charizard. Uh, so the Pokemon are t part of them are really expensive, but the trainer cards are not, and um, I guess that's because of the collectors. But if this format grows, which I think it will. The most important thing is that you have your trainer cards because you play four of them and the Pokemon usually only play one or two of. So here, here's going to be your everyday Pokemon cast that's going to come <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Callum, no, of you, course, you said uh, you played as well? Sorry, of course we should uh, switch to Magic. I was just, you asking me what, what I was up to today. So yeah. that was that was kind of my fun part for, for today. But I played a lot of um, Magic recently and uh, most of it online now, so... Yeah, that's something that's really exciting to me because um, I've known you basically since my first Legacy tournament ever, like 15 years ago or something. And you've always been one of the most successful, determined players that, that I've known. And that's always been super impressive to me. And to see you start playing online and basically showing your skills to the world. I mean, you already did it, the GP that you won, I guess. But stream like streaming you picked up streaming uh we're gonna have a link to that in the show notes and doing well in these online tournaments is really impressive because especially during the scg open days there was always i felt like this huge american bias and i always felt like guys you have no idea which kind of killers we have in europe which you just like don't hear about which are incredibly good and like you and and marius hausmann and a couple of others were always like the ones i had on my mind but in basically overseas nobody knew about you because there's like no way to really show off what you can do And that that's just like really cool to see you. Um, what actually happened that you started playing online a um, couple couple months ago? I think it's pretty obvious. So originally I hated playing online, honestly. Um, I just don't enjoy it nearly as much as playing with friends, which is the reason that I never actually played Legacy online. I just always played with friends. We have like a very good Legacy um, scene here in Munich, I guess. Julian, you also know it. You're only living like a couple of kilometers away from my house, so <laughs> not yeah. too far. So we have a really great community. Um, Julian um, was pushing it uh, through the last decade, I think. So a really nice community. And we had tournaments basically every week weekend. If you are willing to travel about, let's say, one hour to Nuremberg or um, Rosenheim or whatever. And uh, so I was able to just play real life tournaments every weekend and also Friday Night Magic uh, Legacy for like the last two or three years. I went there like, like at least twice a month. So I actually played a fair share of Legacy, but not nearly as much as the grinders on MTGO do. So I was actually um, surprised, honestly, that I was able to, to take down a GP. I wouldn't have thought so myself because I just don't have the same amount of training reps that anybody has who plays online. Yeah, but you've you've got. Uh, if you ask me, you've always had probably one of the best approaches to the game because 
I don't know. I, I think I can feel it when somebody is not bullshitting himself, when somebody's like honest with himself. And you, you know how there's players who, who will tell you, oh, it works like this, it works like that. And it's always like very simple, very black and white. And you're like one of the people when I talk to, whom I talk to about magic, where I get the feeling, okay, you understand magic and legacy better than, than somebody who wants to break it down to very simple heuristics, very simple terms. And that's, I think that's, I mean, you will tell us what's the secret behind your success, but I always felt like the way you think about stuff, um, you're not caught up in, oh, I want, I want it to be easy to digest and stuff. You, uh, you actually want to know how it really works. And I, I think that really reflects in your win rate. Um, can, can we quickly talk about that? You've been playing Magic Online for, I think, two months now or something, and you have like an over 80% win rate. I, I was actually going to list the tournaments that you won in top eight at. But that's like way too much at this point. I think you won the NCD Invitational. You top four the Mana Traders thing last time. You won the Legacy Challenge. Uh, you top eighted a Legacy Challenge almost by accident because, uh, like, dude, <laughs> every time I, I tune into your stream, you you win a ton of money. That's incredibly impressive. Oh, definitely. And I think uh, over I had a really good win rate when I when I when I started uh, playing Magic Online. I started streaming and I was like, mm, maybe I'm gonna be too distracted from chat. But I think the first 40 matches I played on stream, we were still above 90% win percentage in leagues. Um, so above 90, that's that. I guess I had some luck there too, because I think you can't reasonably sustain that. But yeah, it, it win percentage <laughs> about uh, above 80% is definitely reasonable. I um, I have that for seven legacy GPs that I played so far. My win percentage over over 80%, over seven GPs. Um, it was actually over eighty percent before I won the GP. So that is and ridiculous. Eighty percent on everything is just completely ridiculous. Like I think we should just ban you from the format. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it should but be. Yeah. It should be a good good amount above eighty percent now that I won the <laughs> GP. Crazy. It was was pretty pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that that includes a GP where I went. Uh, let me let me think. Three four drop, <laughs> win three was lose the, four. Where I played high tide. And played against Reanimator three times in a row, which oh. is uh, basically oh, that was Amsterdam, right? That was Amsterdam. Yeah. When we we were both gonna play, re <laughs> we were both gonna play high tide, and like a day before the tournament, I told you I can't play high tide here. This is like the meta game is way too bad for it, and that's when I when my when I actually got my best finish ever with Maverick. But yeah, I remember that. That was 2011 Amsterdam. We were both going to play high tide. <laughs> I, I got destroyed. I mean, I still had fun because I had my four candelabras back then in the deck. And that was the, the, the most, uh, the thing that I wanted to play. I always want to play with sweet cards and I love candelabra. So that that was fun, actually. But yeah. Um, so yeah, let's get back to the question. So what, what's my secret? I think the, the secret is, is, is kind of simple. I'm a very mathematically thinking guy so everything i think about um i try to um, understand it from the from the bottom up basically i just i have always been the guy if you go back to school i have always been the guy that was not uh, happy if you could just uh, solve the question i needed to understand everything and why it was that way that's how my mind works and i think that's also what brought me in my um, career which i always actually um set in first in my life before all the magic stuff that's um 
that's also a different story, I guess. But I didn't go to my first uh, Pro Tour, which I was qualified to in 2007, because I had an exam on that weekend and I didn't want to postpone it. So I, as I said, I always put my my career plans first, and um, and with with that in mind, I um, I studied mechanical engineering and I also um, did a PhD in applied mathematics. Um, about uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's also the field that I work in now. So what what I'm getting at is basically that I um, have basically um, evolved this mathematically thinking mind all my, all my life. That's kind of what I'm good at. That's what I like to do. And that's how I approach magic too, with a very, very mathematical mind. Um, I try to always have a plan. I try to always play by my odds. I um, like to take risks, calculated risks, where other players are like, oh, I think there's a very good example for, for, for that, where um, in the finals of the UNZD tournament, my, um, my opponent has uh, only one card left, he plays it, and it's, um, it's uh, how's it called, the, the legendary creature that can flashback artifacts from your graveyard. Emery? Oh, Emery. Yeah, Emery. Emery, that's right. So um, they play that card. And my last card actually is uh, Archmage Charm. And I know that they have Chalice in their graveyard and um, that it's not going to be good for me if, if, if they untap with Emery. But what I think about is, okay, I have Red Blast in my deck. I have Sword Supplosures in my deck. I also had three lands in play. If I can find the fetch land... Um, and the draw spell, I can just uh, fetch and Mystic Sanctuary and put like a Red Blast from the graveyard back on top. So what I'm getting at is I calculated the amount of outs I had if I just draw two cards. Why did I do that? Well, if I can can uh, answer the Emery with one of the two cards that I draw, I get an extra free card. So instead of countering it, which was of course super risky because if I don't find anything, I will probably lose. I drew two cards and it of it, this time it worked really well and I think my percentages of getting there were way above 50%. So this is kind of how I approach the game and I'm also not uh, scared to do these kind of tactics even in the finals of a huge tournament. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like that about watching you play because I've, I mean, that's no surprise. I've always had issues with this. Oh, I want to play. I don't want to look bad. I always want to play well but i was not taking any risk because i basically have issues with this whole super risk averse playstyle because that misses out on a lot of ev by by missing those those plays right that are plus ev that you just don't do because you might look bad if it doesn't work out like in the small percent of definitely cases. i always um tell that to the players that they should should uh, assess their um their options and also um their outs and um also if they can um try to to get a feeling of how probable it is i think you get that feeling mostly in magic uh, through a lot of reputation honestly um, i'm really sticking to the kind of deck that i play for a long time now so by playing the same deck a lot um, you'll you'll get a feeling for how likely things are of course you can try to calculate things but in for example that example where i just said with the archmage charm of course i did not like count my deck size count my outs like this would take way too long you on modo you have to really play for your clock um, especially with a control deck like this which is also a huge challenge to me and um, sure, it would be possible to calculate these things, but it's not really feasible during a match. So you need to get um, feeling for the for the likelihoods. 
And I think this, the second secret to, to the success that I have is um, having a game plan. That sounds kind of um, <laughs> trivial, but it's actually the most important in Legacy. Because you have Ponder, Brainstorm, in my case you also have uh, Jace, Sylvan Library, Fetchlands, Mystic Sanctuary, um, which gives you a lot of options. If you look at basically every turn this specific deck that I play with Bunt Miracles, um has it always has so many options and you really really need to know what what is your game plan i can give an example for that um in the in the quarterfinals of, on, of the tournament this weekend of the mana traders tournament i played against the green white uh reclaimer deck and everybody was telling me before that oh it's a field of the dead deck um, your deck can't really beat that um it's a really bad matchup for you and I started testing that matchup and I actually tested four matches of it and I went 4-0 against um, really good players actually, against Lynn Chalice who's also streaming, against Margus of the Moon who's also streaming, so respectable players. And um, the reason for that was that I figured out, okay, um, I have to find Shark Typhoon, which is a one-off in my deck, and I have to uh, win with Shark Typhoon because that goes over the top of Field of the Dead. And that's basically the only win way you can win. So in these four matches, the eight games that I won, I think I won seven of them with the Shark Typhoon on the table. Um, and that's showing how insane Ponder and Brainstorm are if you are able to find your one-off in seven out of eight matches. And I think that's not a fluke. That is, if you play correctly, um, about the likelihood that you should get. Yeah, I completely agree with this. Like, even just to go further than that, like you had identified a game plan in a specific matchup, but using cantrips is like, I mean, we could talk about it for hours, I'm sure, but when you're casting ponders and brainstorms, you should know what you want from your deck before you even cast it. If you don't know what you want, if you're just casting it for the sake of casting it, then you probably are using it incorrectly. So in these cases, you are looking for Shark Typhoon or more cantrips to find Shark Typhoon, basically. And that is the game plan you identified and against other decks. Sometimes you just want to cast it to find a land or whatever. But yeah, you need to know exactly what you want to do with these cantrips and what your game plan looks like. Like you could also have, you think your game plan is Shark Typhoon, but that's an end game. So you're first cantripping for the removal and the land drops and maybe force a will to get you to that end game and then the Shark Typhoon. So yeah, managing your resources and cantrips and stuff and into this formulating a plan which you can have before the game even starts is so critical to winning with these kind of decks so yeah definitely agree. and i think there's a second piece to that puzzle it's not only the cantrips but the version of the deck that i like to play plays eight force of will basically four force of will and four force of negation and you have to know what you have to counter if you counter the wrong thing if you uh, get yourself down a card two for one in a control deck and you're not countering the card you're supposed to counter you like you have a very good shot of losing. So this this deck is not very forgiving. So if you pick it up, you might not uh, win in the beginning, and that is because of exactly that. It's 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 a brainstorming, but it's also how you use your forces and your force of negation. And I think that can also be shown in that green white reclaimer matchup, um, because there everybody was uh, telling me, oh yeah, the the problematic card is is uh, is the dryad, which gives all the the lands all the five basic land types and makes it so that Valakut can shoot and they can play two lands a turn. And I figured out that's not true. You need to keep them from from um, assembling additional resources with um, Elfish Reclaimer and um, Flexstone of Troke here 
and uh, with um, Sylvan library. These are the most important things to counter. And you can, if you, uh, you can just let the dryad resolve and if they don't have enough lands, it just doesn't do anything. So these are parts, now it's just an example, the green-white reclaimer deck, but that's how complicated um, playing a legacy is these days. You really have to know for each single matchup, which are the cards that I'm gonna lose to and what are what is my game plan? What do I need to dig for with my brainstorm and my ponder? And those are also like what I consider the most interesting discussions in uh, in legacy in the format. Um, that's what I, I always say when I say people that are not as experienced or not as ambitious, they will often talk tactics like how, what can I do that's like a really smart tactical move, but they don't think about the strategy in the matchup. And I think that's probably one of the most underrated things in the format that's, I don't know, if, if you're listening to this, do, do you think about strategy? Do you have, like, as Mark says, your game plan for all the most common matchups? And ideally even beyond that. I mean, at some point it becomes a matter of experience. But I I totally agree on that because that's basically what I was say. What I mean when I say um, strategy is underrated. And it, it's kind of refreshing to hear that from you as well. To me, I think one of the biggest revelations was when I was actually like listening to Day 9's um, Brood War dailies like from 10 years ago where he also talked about you that you gotta have a game plan like a match plan for every matchup and even if it's bad at least you can you know that's then you have something you can evaluate against so if, for example if you if you in this matchup would think oh it might be super much about field of the dead and i have to do something about field of the dead blah 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 and then you realize okay that's not working out then you know okay i i gotta i gotta change my strategy but if you don't even think about stuff in, in terms like this then you probably don't get to that kind of revelation and i think that's the way to think about magic that really helps you improve as a player and that's that's kind of cool to hear and i think everybody who's not doing that and wants to improve just think about your strategy your game plan even if it's wrong you will understand why it's wrong and if you don't understand you can always reach out to other players and yeah i think that that's a big takeaway here to add a little bit to it like when you say uh, you should understand your game plan, I think even that can be a bit vague for someone that doesn't do it very often. So when I was young, well, when I was younger, obviously, but when I was like newer to legacy, <laughs> I did ask similar questions to someone that's more experienced and they said, oh yeah, you need to have a game plan. And I was like, okay, I feel silly for asking this, but what is a game plan? And we kind of started to explain it, but I think you need to imagine, just play out a game, a match in your head. Like think, okay, with the same example, this miracle deck against Greenwood Reclaimer, just play the matches in your head and think of how it goes well for you. What happens? Don't like think of corner cases like the top deck terminus that might have happened in the uh, the quarterfinals, but uh, think of normal cases where they play a Reclaimer and you swords it and you play your land drops and it goes on. And then put yourself to some decisions like if I had these resources, what would I do here? You can really imagine all these things and you just need to imagine what it takes to win and then you can play to that in the matches themselves and you need to see how the game ends when you're winning basically to know what to play for as well yeah that's what i sometimes like to call matchup dynamics like what are common play patterns that happen and what are the choices that you you have because in many situations you don't really have a choice but sometimes you do and those are the big ones that where you can steer the matchup in one direction or the other so every time you find yourself in a situation where you think I could do this, but I could also not do it. That's that's where you like your game plan 
becomes a huge factor. I mean, if, the, if there's, a say, a Dread or Darkness sitting in front of you and you have a removal spell, in most of the cases you probably want to take it out, but even then it's it's not always... So, so just to, to, to provide an example from my side, from the Elf side, when we talk about stuff like game plans, when I played against Delver in the past, if they had like turn one Delver and I was on the play, I would always decay it, just because it conserves my life total and it's the best thing I can hit anyways. These days... I very often will be happy to take like a couple of hits just to see whether a Dread or Darkness is coming down because the Dread or Darkness is so much more devastating that these days I'm more willing to take hits from the Delver and that's basically part of my game plan against Delver and I think that, that that's just like the stuff you, you think about and that factors into what's eventually going to be your game plan. Totally. And to actually make another example of Elves, um, if someone just threw Elves in my hands, I've been playing it a lot recently as you might have noticed and uh, really loving it. And if someone just gave me elves and then I went into like sideboarding against Snowco, for example, in the sideboard, there are thought seizures and abrupt decays. I definitely would have started by siding the abrupt decays because I'm scared of like a containment priest, plague engineer, especially and stuff like that. But you and other elves players have formulated this plan that, wow, since they stopped playing toxic deluge and they play um, dead of winter, they can't answer a progenitus. So actually you side in a progenitus and side in the thought seizures to deal with uh, the counter magic to try and force through a natural order for progenitus. And uh, that is an example of like a very, very concise, clear game plan. Like you don't even side in the abrupt decays, even if they have plague engineer, because that is not part of how you win the sideboard games. You just sidestep a lot of their hate. The, the containment priest is a problem as well, but you hope to try and snipe it with the thought seize. But um, it's just another example of building a deck around a certain game plan as well. So it's, I mean, it goes so deep, doesn't it? But it's such an interesting conversation about how every deck should have some kind of plan and some build in mind to deal with certain things. Okay, so, so I actually have a third thing that might be a bit controversial in, in this group, especially what I think is a trifactor of, of me um, having such a high win percentage. It's the mathematical thing with the outs. You have to calculate your outs. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is have a plan. Know what you do with your brainstorm, ponder and forces. And the third thing actually is have brainstorm, ponder, and force in your deck. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to disillusion you, but I honestly think that the win percentage of above 80% is over a longer period is really only possible if you can eliminate variance as much as possible. You know, like, for example, in, um, in chess, you can have insanely high win percentages. It's, you, you can basically be unde un undefeatable by a, a player that's, that's worse than you. Why? Because there's no variance. And in order to remove variance, the card Brainstorm, Ponder, and Force of Will help so much. Without Force of Will, you cannot um, beat any of the broken turn one starts. Without Brainstorm or Ponder, you'll be more likely to get Mana Screwed or Mana Flooded. And these things, you can be as good as you like, um, you cannot control them. And in order to get really, really high win percentages, you need to make games as as low variance games as you possibly can that's basically also the same idea with like a delver deck you don't need to play bunt miracles for that delver also tries to to do the same thing every time and to do it as consistently as possible so in speaking of of these metrics that you have i was actually wondering which decks in legacy do you like right now um you already mentioned that you like bunt miracles and we're going to talk a little bit about that um, in the near future here, but which other decks in Legacy do you maybe not even like, but which decks do you consider to be quote-unquote the best in Legacy right now, the most likely to take down any tournament? 
I think if you're good at it, I really like Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not not played that much, but um, it got a lot better, of course, with um, Tassa's Oracle. And I think it's it's a poster child for a deck that tries to reduce variance. It's a very can be very fast and um, can also do a longer game plan uh, since it can fight on its own with forces and days and um, as such um, the win condition is very powerful you can also win out of nowhere right you can just lotus petal out uh, dark ritual a doomsday um, even if you actually don't really have mana or anything on the board uh, which I think is is, is um, a pretty strong thing to do. So I can definitely um, see that that is one of the strongest decks. Then I honestly consider the deck that I played, that Bunt Miracles, um, is, in my opinion, uh, a stronger choice than regular four-color snow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, uh, if you want to compare it to other Brainstorm Ponder decks, it's also definitely better choice than Delver. Um... Another Brainstorm Ponder deck that I really like, which is not as well known, I guess, is um, we call it Pokey Pile, I guess, which is a Delverless Delver deck that uh, skims on Delver and playing some more late game like Oro and Narset uh, with a combination of Stifle. This deck is also incredibly consistent and it has, I think it's less powerful than the Bunt Miracles deck, but uh, it really has the uh, option with Stifle and Wasteland to get free wins, which you don't have with Spunt Miracles. And if you are looking for a deck, um, you always have to look out for power, consistency, but also for free wins. And that is one of the biggest downsides that uh, Bunt Miracles has. You don't get free wins. That's true. That's true. That's something I always appreciate in a deck, like the, the free win aspect, especially if you're playing a long tournament. It's, I, I don't know, it's, it, it's a really big deal to me. But yeah, you... You don't really get those outside of, I guess, scenarios where you totally devastate them with like a terminus or, um, well, I guess, I guess if they are mana screwed, that's not really a factor of your deck. That's more like a thing that randomly happens. Um, but yeah, th- let's actually speak about your deck here. Um, I've, I've got it in front of me. We're going to put it in the show notes. It's, I want to say you're one of the very few people who are actually still playing a deck that's actually like an actual miracle stack, right? Um, that plays Terminus and stuff. Like you have two Terminus in the main deck. I actually don't see a third one in the sideboard, so I guess that's where we are right now. And for those who don't know, it's pretty straightforward. You got three Icewind Codals, you got two Uros, you got three Okos, two Chase, the Mind Sculptor, a card we don't really see very often these days. Uh, and then a bunch of four offs for brainstorms, for pondas, for salt supplies, for force of wills, for force of negations, for Archon's Astrolabe. And then the the fine print is one Archmage's Charm. And we should actually say what that card does. I think it's triple blue. And you can either draw two cards, you can counter a spell, or you can gain control of target creature with converted mana cost. Is it one or less? It's a permanent. It's target non-land permanent with converted mana cost one or less, yes. Oh, wow, that's actually broken. So it can get a vial, but very importantly, it's target player draws two cards. Mark can explain why that's important. Oh, yeah, that is very important indeed. That's a (laughs) nice catch column. And in in the beginning, I I thought that was just, just funny, Mm-hmm. But it's actually super mega relevant in the matchup that I just mentioned, Doomsday. Because my favorite thing to do against Doomsday is letting <laughs> Doomsday resolve. That is, if, if, you, if you have Archmage Charm in hand, um, what you can do is um, wait until they play their Oracle. Either they already have at that point uh, less than two cards in their library. And in response to the Oracle trigger, you just Archmage Charm them. 
and they will lose because they can't draw two cards anymore. There's a second version where they outsmart, try to outsmart you and uh, play Oracle uh, with exactly two cards left in their library, which would also win. But fortunately, we have Swords Deplosures and uh, Red Blast in the sideboard. So we have options to respond to that. So you're, what you're doing is then you sort the Oracle in response. They have to draw the other two cards, which often they can with just cycling street races. And if they're a good player and um, yeah, you can just then win with Archmage Charm. And the nice thing about it is that most of their defense usually, especially if they made a pile is Thoughtseize. And it's so hard to Thoughtseize Archmage Charm from our deck because we have two Mystic Sanctuary. It's a really it's good so plan. Cool. Yeah. And so you beat, you beat Oops with this plan as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that too. I, I, <laughs> that, that, is, that is less common because yeah. actually against... Um, talking about game plans against Doomsday, it actually is my game plan to find Archmage Charm nice. and let Doomsday resolve. That is my actual game plan. That's not a joke. That's, that's <laughs> game plan number one. This is the power of cantrips again. It's amazing. Yeah. You're one of the very few decks that actually rather consistently actually beats Doomsday after it has resolved because these days there's very few decks that can actually beat Doomsday outside of just attacking uh, after Doomsday resolved so that that's pretty cool. Talking about your other one-offs in the deck you still um, you, you have one seven library which I guess goes well with Uro and just like the general game plan you have a shark typhoon as a one-off in the sideboard uh, in the main deck you got a one-off carpet of flowers in the main deck with how much islands you were facing these days and what you told me is the flex slot, like in this list right now, we have the card of cunning, the blue card that just came out. You told me you also sometimes play Teferi or even a Stifle in that slot. So I, I guess you're undecided which one you prefer the most right now. Okay, should, should I first talk about the, the carpet or my flex slot? Hit me with anything you want. Okay, let, let's do the carpet first. So the carpet is um, basically an attribute to how I see the format. In my mind, the best decks, again, are Pokepile, Bunt Miracles, Doomsday. And that was pretty good. I think it's it's a tiny bit behind those other three options, but it's pretty good too. And against all those decks, Carpet is insane. The, all these decks just can't beat Carpet. Even for Doomsday, it's a problem. I guess for Doomsday, it's the least problem, but even they play Stif uh, Days. So Days is one of the strongest cards in the format, right? And Carpet of Flowers destroys Days. As soon as you have a Carpet in play, you're never ever gonna play into Days again. And against um, a deck, for example, Pokepile, which plays Stifle and Wasteland, if they double Wasteland, you will have a Stifle, whatever, and you resolve a Carpet, you just basically three for one them and got a lot of tempo. And in the Mirror match, it's actually also unbeatable because you are playing a mystic sanctuary deck so you have to get your islands you can't do other things and if you play a soul ring that produces five colored manas instead of two colorless that's outright ridiculous carpet of flowers is ridiculous <laughs> and that's why you probably have extra copies in the sideboard i'm actually not i'm checking right now yeah you got two extra copies in the sideboard no surprise there that card is really really good um i've only ever played it in f's and i've also been super impressed with it there um and i can certainly see how how it's gonna give you like an interesting advantage like a really good advantage because suddenly you can you know 
cast your chase without even tapping out of all your counter spells that you have in hand and even stop their stuff that's going on uh, or you know sorts of plowshares the creatures that might hit it and that's that's something i enjoy a lot so should i still talk about the flex slot no no we're gonna no <laughs> seriously yes 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 <laughs> let us know what are what's the thinking behind that what are the other cards that you're considering for that okay so the flex flex thought is interesting for one um i moved up to eight uh, forces uh, which i didn't have like two months ago and the problem of course with forces is that you might run out of cards so i kind of wanted my last card my flex slot to be at least a two for one a card that draws cards at the same time i still think again doomsday very scary deck and having one archmage charm against a fast deck and most of the time you can't stop their doomsday it's just they don't they do have too much defense too much disruption um, i thought that was not enough so i kind of wanted my um, flex slots to be good against uh, doomsday after they resolved the doomsday actually and then there's one more thing um, i wanted my flex slot to be good against sylvan library Sylvan Library is the problem card number one for Bunt Miracles. All your removal spells, sorts of plosures, give the opponent life. You can't remove the Sylvan Library if your flex slot can't do it. So once a Sylvan Library hits the table, um, you usually lose game one. That's as bad as it is if they resolve a Sylvan Library. I'm not even exaggerating. Sounds pretty brutal. <laughs> What I'm getting at is if you if you consider all these things for your flex slot, you have some different options. So the first option, um, which is in the list right right now, which you post, Julian, I think, is uh, Court of Cunning. It's a new option. I didn't test it too much yet, but I like that it's a two for one, basically, or even more. It draws you cards. I like that it's actually good against Doomsday. They can't really pass the turn anymore if you have this in play. And they will also feel pressured even if they already resolve the Doomsday and you play this card, they will have to win in the next turn. So I like it there too. Um, so it checks these two boxes. Obviously, it doesn't do anything against Sylvan Library. So another option would be uh, to play Teferi. Um, Teferi can bounce Sylvan Library, which I really like, and it's a two for one. Obviously, it doesn't help you to resolve Doomsday. And then... Um, yeah, the last option would be, um, I guess there's two more options, uh, Stifle and Hullbreacher. I'm not going to talk too much about these, but basically um, Stifle is good because you can Mystic Sanctuary it back on top. It's the nut card against Doomsday. If you're really afraid of Doomsday, uh, put one Stifle into your deck. It's really good, but of course it doesn't two for one. It doesn't help against a certain library. So I think I like it the least, but it's, it's, it's okay. And then there's Hullbreacher, which I tried this weekend and um it's yeah it, it, it can kind of give you an advantage mana advantage and it is actually pretty good even if they resolve the doomsday for example so let's still talk about doomsday and it's good against sylvan library if it sticks on the table but it's um at the same time it's very narrow in that in a lot of matchups you don't really want to play it out if they have removal for it like swords because otherwise you're pretty immune to swords and um, at the same time you don't want to play it out against the deck like death in texas for example where it just does nothing so i'm i tried Hullbreacher. i would advise against playing it 
I just want to add like one last thing on Archmage's charm, actually, just kind of backpedaling quickly, because actually you talking about it like this has kind of sparked my memory of you talking about the card in a in a chat between us. Um, you wanted a, a spell which you can bring back with Mystic Sanctuary just for the fair matches matchups to pull you ahead in card advantage, and I thought this was really worth pointing out because when you look at Archmage's charm, like yeah, it does some cool things. It's kind of slightly overcosted for what it does, but it's flexible. But with your two Mystic Sanctuary as well, just to just to have this engine of pulling you ahead, I think was not something that I clicked onto when I saw it in the list. So it's worth mentioning, I think. It's definitely worth mentioning. It's definitely an oversight for many people that look at this list and ask them, why is Archmage Charm here? The most uh, important thing about Archmage Charm is, is not the thing about Doomsday, actually, because you're not going to play every round against Doomsday. In most matchup, just a draw two, which you can put back on this Mystic Sanctuary. Before I had Archmage Charm in my deck, if you look at my GP list from last year, I had um, two Veil of Summer, which I still like, but back then people were not as prepared. A lot of blue-black decks back then with discard and counter magic, so I could use my Veil as a two-for-one, which I put back on Mystic Sanctuary. But these days, so many decks are immune to it that I needed a different option to get me a two-for-one uh, with and uh, to put back on top with Mystic Sanctuary. So, yeah, Archmage cool. Charm is exactly that. Makes perfect sense. Love it. There's an interesting pattern that I notice when you speak about those cards that you want to include that you can, you know, flashback or put back on top of your library. Because that's exactly what another great Miracles pilot always used to tell me. That's super important, Philip Schoeniger, for those who don't uh, who do remember him. I mean, he's still alive, right? He just like <laughs> left the game. Um, he was one of the very first to top eight two legacy GPs. And he always talked about the value of recurring cards with Snapcaster Mage. So mostly when we talked about cyborg cards, he said he will rate a card much much higher in the sideboard if you can snapcast it back so even if there's you know like an artifact or an enchantment that's maybe somewhat better than an instant or sorcery if the instant or sorcery is good enough then you might pick that because using snapcaster mage on it it's just like such a big advantage and it reminds me a lot of what you say when you mentioned mystic sanctuary and putting the card back on top so that's i don't know i i I definitely recognize that pattern, and uh, I think that's something that's worth keeping in mind when you when you build your deck. And I guess there's a lot of people out there who would be interested in building this deck because you you're probably like the best salesman for Mercus right now in the world because so few people are actually playing it. Everybody's playing Snowco, and that actually brings me to one of the many many questions that we have received um, from, for example, Doctor Sava or Doctor Xavier's playgroup. Um, He's now at Discord and he collected questions from, from, I guess, his friends. And that question is, which cards do you fear the most as a Miracles player? And actually, also the question from our friend uh, Fenris Cloud, why does Mark prefer Miracles over Snowco? So why don't we actually start there? Well, why do you like Miracles over Snowco? And like, which cards or decks is Miracles actually that much better against than Snowco that makes you want to play Miracles but not Snowco? That's a really good question. I just answer it in a second. I just want to um, shortly go back to that I'm actually super surprised that uh, the Bunt Miracles play deck is basically not played at all. Um, after I won the GP last year, which was um, December 2019, I was convinced, I was convinced that this deck is going to take over the format. Everybody's going to play it. We're going to see it like Delva because it's so good. And then what happened was 
that the deck actually disappeared. And I didn't play, play Modo back then, no, no Magic Online. And I remember that I posted a tweet, you can probably still find it um, in March, I think, where I said, hey guys, this is my updated Bunt Miracles list. I think this is the best deck in the format. And people were laughing at me on Twitter. They were saying like, you're joking. Nobody's playing Terminus anymore. Why, what are you telling us? Is, is, this, is this a joke? And I, I meant it seriously, actually. So I was really surprised. They angered the beast. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, am fine. I, I, I if he, if people don't. That's what a beast deck, would say. <laughs> I, I, I'm fine. I, I'm happy if I reserve this deck just for myself and nobody else plays it. I have an advantage because of my deck choice. I don't mind that at all, honestly. So, um, but I was surprised. I was, I was so surprised that people don't, don't pick up on it. So let me get back to the question, Snowco. What, what's the difference? Okay. So this this deck is is very is built very similarly to Snowco. Uh, the big difference is, is that I have no black mana, right? Because Snowco does usually also not have red cards in the main deck, so the big difference is no black mana. No black mana. What does that mean? That means no abrupt decay, no dead of winter, and maybe no Leo Void. No plague engineer. Yeah. Yeah, plague engineer is not a main deck card, but we can talk about sideboard cards too. But oh, okay. let, yeah. let's talk about main deck cards first. Um, so it's it's basically these three cards, and I think the most important of these three cards by far by by a mile is abrupt decay slash assassin's trophy, whichever one you prefer, which is a versatile answer to everything. And I wanted to try it out too because on paper it sounds really good, right? You have suddenly an answer for Sylvan Library and for Arcanist for Dreadheart Arcanist. Yeah, it's 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 so important to have. The, uh, so it, at first, it's it seems so nice, right? You have this versatile answer that can just answer Sylvan Library just like that, which I just told you is the bane of the existence of Bunt Miracles. And then you also uh, have an uncountable answer for Dreadhot Arcanist for Oko, which is also a huge problem if it resolves. So it's, it it seems great, right? And it is actually a, a pretty good card, of course. But the problem you're running into is. That if you play Abrupt Decay and you play Swords of Plosures and you play Dead of Winter, you lose a lot of percentage points against decks that don't really rely on permanence. And that's what I realized. And if you add Abrupt Decay and you cut Swords of Plosures, um, you will, your win percentage against Delver will drop massively because a one mana answer is just half the price, right? So you you have two options there. Either you overload your deck with good answers to permanence, but you will lose to the decks that don't care about permanence against non-land permanence, I guess. Or um, you just don't play Abrupt Decay. And I think the second option is, is, is just better because it makes your mana better. It makes your overall matchups better, I think. And there's a very good alternative to Abrupt Decay which is just playing more fossils, which is what I'm doing. <laughs> that the logic behind it is that I am ready to two for one myself to stop a certain library. Um, so I don't have to play black mana. I don't have to pay two mana for the abrupt decay. And I can just uh, play cards like Jace or Archmage Charm to recoup the cartel's advantage later. And or certain library, for example, myself. And I, I found that to be a way better plan, actually, to beat Sylvan Library and 
you you gain a lot of percentage points again against all the decks that don't really care about abrupt decay and swords so i i think it's straight up better to play bunt miracles than four color snow this, this it sounds like abrupt decay is a trap oh yeah abrupt decay is a trap and maybe i exaggerated a little bit because there is some matchups, uh, I guess, uh, where Abrupt Decay is so important that, of course, your matchup with Snow is better. I think one of them might be Death in Texas, for example, where handling an Etterweil is so important. But these are few and far in between. And I think overall, you're, you're just better off playing Bunt Miracles. And another thing I want to touch on is the comparison between Terminus and Jet of Winter. And I think it's not even close. I think Terminus is just so much more powerful, especially, of course, with Mystic Sanctuary. If you just watch any videos of me, any creature matchup, it always feels insane when you just have a Brainstorm in your hand and a Fetchland on the table and the Terminus in your graveyard. You can, at any point in the game, for two mana, just kill all the creatures. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> At instant speed, that's it feels like cheating. Man. Hey, you I said that already. Totally agree. Or your deck or something. <laughs> I mean, compare that to Dread of Winter. It's just yeah. it's, Dread of oh, Winter yeah. is a joke in comparison. Dread of Winter so. is a really underperforming card, in my opinion. It it always it's either easy to play around or like you need to have the right snow permanence, and it just looks really clunky and awkward. So yeah, my, my opinion is play Bunt Miracles, don't play Snowcrow. <laughs> I want to actually touch on. Um, like, I liked your idea of saying Force Negation kind of takes the place of Rupt Decay because in the abstract it sounds kind of weird, but it makes sense. But I think an undersung thing about the Forces is being free is so, so big. It really can't be unstated how powerful it is. Um, I actually think Force of Will is the best card in the format, which is probably quite... It's pretty out there because people will say Brainstorm is, but I think Force of Will has got to the point where it's the best card in the format. And you're just doubling up even further on that, and I really like it. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it gives you so much flexibility since you can always use it. You can tap out and, and, and still still use this card. And that's also the reason why I have two Jaces in there. It's And also told you that the flex slot should be a two for one. It's so important that you don't run out of cards at the same time. Um, but I also wanted to say, if you force a card that costs three or more mana, like let's say an Oko, um, it's actually an advantage for you. That's how it is, how I see it these days. Um, why do I see it that way? Let's say there was a card that uh, drew three cards for three mana. I think that would be a fair legacy card. I think there is even like Painful Truths. Okay, it costs three life too, but there are these cards and they're not even everywhere. So I think it's fair to say that Oko is better than drawing three cards. Would you would you force a card that draws three cards? Would you force Ancestral Recall? Of course, you're always happy to force it. Or not happy, I guess, but you would always do it because it, it saves you a card. And I th see it the same way. If you force uh, an Oko, it pulls you ahead. Even so, you lose a card. It's, it might sound um, counterintuitive, but if you then resolve your own Oko or your own force, uh, your own uh, Jace instead, it pulls you so much ahead. Yeah, I agree. And this is this uh, is why I think that Force of Will is so ridiculously powerful now is because in the past, like going down on cards was a death knell. You can't do it forever because there just wasn't the same kind of engines. But now, mana is worth so much more than card advantage. Or at least it used to be in the past. So, um, 
yeah, like trading three mana for a card is a, an exchange you're very happy to do very often, especially when you have such powerful follow-ups like you do with Jace. Like when you have Jace and you just slam it and you have like multiple force wills in your hand or force negations, you kind of feel invincible. So um, yeah, it's totally agree again. That actually takes me that takes me back to an article that uh, yeah, Javier Dominguez so wrote, I think yeah. half a year ago or so about legacy, you know. Yeah, Javi, like MPL player, but also he won the Legacy GP Paris 2014. He's like super invested in Legacy. And he wrote about exactly that phenomenon in Legacy um, that's, that has happened ever since like the most dominant cards in the format got printed. That we by now are sitting in a in a card and mana economy where it's very much worth it to force something that you wouldn't have forced before just like from you know how the way the games have played out because the cards are so powerful and they snowball so quickly you know like dreaded arcanist or okos like if you get to untap with your oko and stuff it's so much more powerful that in order to stop it you are very willing to give up a card on that and i think we might actually like link that article in the in the show notes section because I think at the time the article didn't get the attention it deserved uh, because it was very visionary in how legacy would actually develop and Javier already saw this right away and he took his time to to write about that even though like you know for him I guess legacy is just like his hobby and like standard and everything else is his job and he he still managed to write an article that's just like visionary and ahead of its time he's just he's he's the best player for a reason I guess. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we want to see Mark go up against Xavier in the, <laughs> in the near future. Um, but yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. Mark, by, by the way, just like a random question. Do you actually offer coaching for people? Because like after this episode, maybe a lot of people are going to try to pick up the deck. So, so far, actually never, nobody ever asked me for coaching. I guess uh, I helped out uh, some friends who picked up the deck, just uh, played a couple of matches with them on um, on Discord. There's actually one far- funny story which happened not not too long ago, actually. Um, I think you know the streamer Margus of the Moon. He uh, actually qualified for the for this um, legacy finals that can qualify you for the mocks. And um, he actually made it until the finals where he got beat on time with, with a board that would actually win against um, Daniel Gertchen. And yeah... <laughs> I just gave him the deck. I played like five or six matches with him. He picked it up really fast and he just crushed. Like it was insane. Sounds like you need to get some coaching. I mean, give, give. <laughs> People are going to need some Pemmon coaching. Pemmon is your nickname. Um, <laughs> honestly, I still don't know why, but, <laughs> but okay, that's actually like totally unrelated to what we're discussing. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that out. Um, no, okay. don't leave it out. I, I, I like to say something about it. Like <laughs> Pemmon is really cool character from the magic history, right? And there, there's actually, a, he, he never got the printing. Maybe, maybe if Wizards is listening, please, please print Pemmon. Pemmon Riptide Survivor. Oh, okay. I thought he was just like on Pemmon's aura and that's it. Oh, no. He's a, he's a legendary uh, wizard. He's a Riptide Survivor. And he um, is actually the flavor text on Stifle is actually um, a citation from Pemmon. Is that if I wanted your opinion, I would have told you what it was? That is exactly it. That's what Pemmon said. He's a smart guy. So I like him. Oh, he's a really cool guy. He is. And the name is actually funny where it came from. It's from Pemmon's aura. And the idea was that if you sort the letters of Pemmon's aura differently, it's I am Superman. 
And for those who don't know, Superman is a nickname of Morphling, which used to be one of the most influential creatures in magic, basically. And Pemmin's Aura is, is an aura or enchantment that basically grants a ton of the Morphling abilities, right? That's how it works. That is exactly correct. But these days, since it can untap for one blue, it's not really used for fighting as um, Morphling used to be. It's just used to produce infinite mana with a creature that produces two or more mana. Interesting. Okay, now I'm actually glad I asked you about the origin of your nickname. <laughs> that's that, that's pretty cool. So I think you made a really good case for why you like your deck over Snowco. Are there any problematic permanents that you hate facing, like, you know, Dr. Saver's playgroup is asking? I think you already mentioned that, like, Doomsday as a whole is, is kind of scary, but you got a really good game plan against that. And Sylvan Library is really good and, like, one of the major considerations for you. Are there any other permanents, maybe even, like, dedicated sideboard hate that people bring in that you feel they give you the biggest, like, okay, straight out, which cards give you the biggest problems, especially post-sideboard? Okay, so I guess there's a top four list of cards that uh, that give me the biggest problems. So the first card is is, is kind of more like a, a group of cards, I guess. It's like careful study or faceless looting because it means my opponent is playing um, a graveyard strategy and uh, both Hogak and Dredge are really terrible matchups. So that's on, on, on place four. On um, place uh, three would be Doomsday because yeah, it just beats you if you if you don't have Artmatch Charm. So we already mentioned that. On place two, um, Sylvan Library. Sylvan Library is so problematic that um, again, if it resolves game one against the creature deck, if they resolve it game one, or also on the Snowco Mirror, I guess you will lose Mo almost always. It's just insane. So that's place two, and then on place one, and it is a distant place one. It's it's by far the scariest card you could ever face with Blunt Miracles, Cloud Post. <laughs> I played some so, Cloud Post yesterday. I didn't face any Blunt Miracles though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess the, the Blunt Miracles not played that much, as I said mm -hmm. before. And I'm surprised, honestly. But yeah, Cloud Post is. I almost just want to concede and save my time if my opponent starts with Cloud Post on turn one. Um, you just don't usually have the tools to beat them fast enough. There are draws. Actually, at the GP, I played against um, Cloud Post, and um, I beat them one game. I actually won the match there, and I beat them one game by just playing turn three Oko, Elk, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> and killing them, and having, like I think, three forces back then uh, to counter absolutely everything they, they tried to set up. So that's how you can win, but that happens so, so, so rarely. I was going to say eight forces will help a lot. Like, yeah, but then they have like they, they just need to have like one cloud thing. post, cloud post, and then maybe um, a glimmer post, whatever. And they're so close already. Maybe mm -hmm. they they have like um, uh, grim monolith, and, and, and they are so close always to just casting Ulamog, and you can't counter. I mean, I guess you can counter Ulamog, but it will still exile <laughs> to permanence. And um, they just have so many must counters usually that if any of those resolve, like Ugin or you name it, um, you will just lose. So this strategy is very unlikely. And then uh, actually back in the days, there was a second strategy and that was trying 
um, to to ramp up and get the timely and treat the angels. So there was one game on uh, on that specific GP actually where my opponent hard cast an Emrakul and I still won because I made six angels in response. I could sack my board, all my lands, and then swing back with six angels to kill them. That's sick. Nice. Dude, that's incredibly flavorful. Yeah. I can actually hear the trumpets <laughs> of the angels as they come crashing. Like you give up your entire kingdom your realm like everything dies in the final cataclysm but the angels they persist and they take the victory from the big spaghetti monster wow <laughs> yeah that was by the fun. way that was fun by the way what do you mean your matchup against graveyard decks is bad i'm looking at your sideboard and you have a one-off surgical extraction like how can they ever win <laughs> there's two rest in peace as well <laughs> okay never mind <laughs> never mind so actually i increased the number of graveyard cards so the the problem with this graveyard strategies is clearly if i look I, I also have a chart where i see how much i play against which deck and i and, and that chart is mostly there to show how often i bring in specific sideboard cards because i actually hate sideboard cards that you only bring in like five percent of your matches or something and And, and the, the anti-graveyard sideboard cards are from the whole sideboard are the cards that I bring in the least. And that really sucks, honestly. And I for a really long time, I only had one rest in peace and one surgical, just exactly for that reason. But the win percentage against Hogak is pretty bad if you can't find <laughs> the rest in peace. And the second rest in peace, I realized, makes your po post-board games really favored like i think in post-board games against hugak with double rest in peace and surgical i have to be at least 70 actually something like that if you cut one rest in peace it drops down significantly why because again game plan your game plan is to ponder brainstorm whatever just to find those rest in peace and you will just throw away cards along the way just force everything they play You will go down on cards and they will eventually overwhelm you if you can't find that rest in peace and by doubling the number of rest in pieces i I increased the win percentage against Hogak by a lot, by a lot. But on the same, on, at the same time, it decreases my overall win percentage against all the other decks because I have to dedicate a slot which is almost useless against most other decks. Cool. It makes sense as well because it's a it's a card you need to find early. It's not like Shark Typhoon and the Ring Reclaimer matchup we uh, were talking about earlier, or like Archmage's Charm against Doomsday, where you you often have a bit more time in this kind of matchup because your Force Wills. But against Hogak, the Force Wills are not stellar, and so you really need to find rest in peace for turn two or turn three. So an extra copy can go a long way more than some other things. Yeah, definitely, and it's the only th only way you beat them usually. Yeah. Where does um. Alasaur Shepherd fall on this list. You didn't mention it, but uh, I've, I've oh. you've, you've complained about the card a few times on stream. I, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate that card. So usually my elf matchup was Terminus in the deck and these days uh, with Ice Fang, so they can't beat me down. I have in Terminus, I will, will eventually win the late game and my win percentage against elves has been absolutely fine. Uh, above 80% for sure. And then the but... dinosaurs came. Rawr. No, 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 still, even <laughs> okay. with four dinosaurs I'm in sure, the deck. Yeah. Cool. I think my win percentage is above 80%. Probably not if I play against Julian, but uh, against an average Elves player on the... Like, like Then me. it's actually 90%. <laughs> on the leaks, it's, it's about 80%. Yeah. I, 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 obviously, it will go down if I play against Julian. I can't believe I have 80% there. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but the thing why I complain about Alasaurus Shepard is that there are the 20% basically that I lose are 
always games where Allosaurus Shepard comes down. I look at my hand. I have three forces there. Maybe a brainstorm and a ponder, but no white cards um, to handle the Allosaurus Shepard. And uh, then I'm just digging for swords and terminus. And if I can't find them in like two or three turns, I just lose because I cannot do yeah, yeah, anything. anything. So these games um, that I lose against elves, they are so they feel so bad. Because um, I wouldn't have minded a strong elf that gains card advantage, which would boost the, the win percentage of elves. I have no problem with that. Like a very strong card where you're like, oh, oh my god, and now they draw two extra cards and it's uh, so scary and stuff. But this card just says you can't interact. And that makes it for me um, unfun, honestly. It's just, of course, I lose against it. So that's also part of why it's unfun for me. But just the games it promotes... Uh, are not the kind of games that I enjoy. And I don't always need to win. I, I enjoy, for example, also play against Delva even if I lose, uh, because they're very interactive games usually. And uh, yeah, against Elves, um, again, I have a good win percentage. You can you can even lose if they don't have Alazara Shepard, for sure. You're highly favored then. But the games with Alazara Shepard are often yeah, mm -hmm. very interactive. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, the the card, it feels like the most stupid card I've ever played with that has not been banned yet. I mean, obviously, stuff like Flash and other stuff is like even more stupid, but that stuff's banned. And Alasara Shepard, it's it follows the pattern of you can't, you can't, you can't, which we've gone down a little bit over the last couple of years. And it feels, I don't know, man. It feels a little bit wrong that a card as blunt as this exists, even though it basically like gave a huge boost to one of my favorite decks in the format. But it's, I, I can't phrase it any other way than saying that the card is stupid. But <laughs> <what> it does, <laughs> like the very fact that it itself is uncounterable, and it not only makes your elves uncounterable, but all your green spells as well. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty over the top. Um, I'd rather play more intricate games, you know, with, I always talk about how I want like advantages to be more granular, more small, like smaller in legacy. And this card is the, the plain opposite of that. It's like, comes down, you can't do anything about it on the turn it comes down and like you, it's not so much about the, the Miracles matchup, but more about Delva, especially in the first game when they tap out and you literally know that they're on board. There's literally no card they can have. They can do anything here. And that actually happens quite often, especially like on turn three or stuff. I've, I've kind of loved so, it. I think maybe it's just because I like broken stuff. I'm coming to terms with that. I've always been like a control person. I love playing that. But I've found that I just like playing broken stuff. So um, I don't I, mind broken stuff. Yeah. I just mind uninteractive stuff. Yeah, but no, okay. I, I get your complaint about it. I, I just like punishing Delver tapping out. I love it. I <laughs> love it so much. So uh, I, I yeah. guess, um, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And um, I guess before the show, we, we shortly talked about uh, whether we should touch a question uh, about bannings in Legacy. Maybe we can talk about that shortly at this point. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> because I have a very simple opinion about it. So my opinion is always to... Um, have as many cards in a format as possible. Um, that's why I play Legacy in the first place. If I wanted a narrow format uh, with 
uh, yeah, narrow amount of card pool, I could play standard or something, but that's not what I want to do. I want to just have access to everything. And I just love that. And I understand that sometimes bannings are necessary because one deck is so oppressive that there is no deck that has a, sh a good win percentage against it. And I think that was true uh, with Breach, for example. So I'm glad that, that card got banned. But in general, I think as long as you have a healthy meta game and no deck it dominates in a sense that it really has like a good matchup against everything, um, I think you should really consider not banning stuff because it will also make people unhappy who bought that card. They love their deck. And I think this has so many disadvantages to banning cards that I would only do it in a real emergency. And Wizard used to do it like that, but they really changed their policy and I'm always praying that doesn't come to legacy, this very um, aggressive banning strategy, because I think it would be really unhealthy for our format. If you would ask, uh, ask me, um, Mark, if you had to ban some cards from legacy, which one would be on top of your list? So first of all, I would not like to ban anything from current legacy, but if I had to ban something on top of my list would be cards like Plague Engineer, um, there would be cards like Allosaurus Shepard, there would be cards like Veil of Summer. Um, all these cards, in my opinion, promote uninteractive, unfun gameplay. They all, um, for example, uh, the, uh, they all kind of kill some specific archetypes. Like Veil, have you seen Hymthtorach uh, since Veil is in the format? Not really. Um, then also uh, cards like Plague Engineer really um, mess with uh, creature strategies like Goblins, which I think is really a shame because it's so nice to have these uh, creature strategies be available. And if you print cards that just soft ban decks, I think that's really not healthy. So I would, I would consider banning these cards, but not for power level reasons, but for just uh, diversity and fun reasons. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point, um, especially since you mentioned that you would, if you had to, right, ban stuff for not power level, but um, gameplay reasons, I guess. And I think that's a common pattern that has happened lately, that stuff. Well, I, I mean, I always think about Gataxian Probe. I feel like Gataxian Probe is probably okay, but it just like promotes a playstyle that wasn't really very fun for a lot of people. And then when, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's something that Wizards is looking into more in the future, but yeah, that's that's just like my thoughts on that. So so again, I would not ban anything. I think nothing, none of these cards are too so unfunded you should ban them. But for the Texan Probe is a really really good example. I think that card was so unfun it took away the element of you having um, to figure out what your opponent has in their hand, and of course it made games where you just had had. Um, had Detexian Probe into um, Cable Therapy, take three Brainstorms from their hand and just not be in the game. So that it just promoted unfun playstyle in a so heavy way that that is actually my favorite ban in the history of Legacy. <laughs> do, do you like it even more than a ban of Flash? <laughs> I do. Okay, well, that's a big statement. Awesome. <laughs> So moving on from, from the ban things, um, because like we mentioned, we didn't really want to go too deep on that. Uh, we got a ton more listener questions. Dude, you are the kind of guest for whom we received by far the most listener questions. So I want to pay pay attention to the one that we put in the, in the show notes here. Uh, DinoCat, one of our listeners, asked a question for you. Who is favored? in a snow versus snow miracles match. So do, do you feel ahead when you're playing against Snoko? 
Okay, thank you, Dino Cat, for this question. Also, thank you for everyone that submitted this question. So I feel really honored and really like it's so great to have the community be interested and um, be supportive. I felt that ever since I started my stream as well. People just like to come in. They like to hang out. I they're all so positive people in the legacy community that's a, my favorite part about the game is the community that's also why i hated um all the online stuff before corona came along i would never touch it because it's about the gathering right it's it's about the gathering and that is the most important part for me and i wanna wanna really emphasize that and that still is the case it's more important than like uh, some spike winning or some online tournaments it's just the community it's so great and i enjoy it so much so thank you for that guys um coming back to the question from dino cat i think it's really close because as i said before abrupt decay is actually good in in that specific matchup because you cannot rely on your certain library resolving which they actually can so you have to by all means counter their certain library but I think we are favored overall and that is for two reasons the first reason being mystic sanctuary which is i think my favorite card in the deck it's definitely my favorite card that got printed in the last couple of years i love that card it gives you so many options the card that i put back on top the most by far is ponder <laughs> so in the late game when you need a top deck you can look at three cards instead of one which is awesome but uh, the card that you wanna put back in the matchup against snow is of course archmage charm uh, just archmage charm draw two put it back on top, draw two, put it back on top, draw two, and you will very, very likely win that game. Uh, th so that's the one axis we have, they don't. The second axis that we have is Jace, and Jace is the most important thing why we are favored in that matchup. It's, um, it's not abrupt decayable. If you resolve it, it's very hard for them to handle, and if you keep it on the table for a couple of turns, um, you basically just win. There's um, two more things that make us favored. These are not as important as the one that I just mentioned, but I, I, I want to talk about them real quick. The one is the main deck carpet, of course. Uh, it's so good in all the blue mirrors. And uh, I had my fair share of turn two Okos or turn turn two or three Uros <laughs> then in the in It's play. disgusting. Yeah, it's really good. And even in the late game, it's still good because it helps the other part of the puzzle shark typhoon they cannot handle shark typhoon game one if they don't have red blast usually so um, if you resolve a shark typhoon which most of the snow codex don't have you also just win they they cannot beat that card look you you actually have like with your enthusiasm with which you talk about the deck you you have me thinking about putting this together on magic online right now that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> when we see julian playing terminus oh, I don't know. <laughs> dude, dude, I've, I, know I didn't did talk about it too much, but um, when, when 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 Miracles like became a deck, I think Mark, you and I, we were working on Miracles quite a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Before Julian GP played a lot of G Miracles uh, actually Gant. back in the day. I I remember my that we both played it at the GP. That was the GP where I got ninth place in France, right? With no losses, was it? Yeah, it was in, no in, losses. in Belgium actually. <laughs> that close. Uh, it's a great story. <laughs> that was Gant. Yeah. Oh, it was that Gant. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That was where your opponent wanted to draw into day two because you were both like 6.02, I believe. Yeah, he was really happy. He was like, this is, I, I played like 10 GPs already. This is the first time that I make it to day two. And it's so great. And um, I was like, mm, 
you know, if we draw now, we basically can't really make it to top eight anymore. Uh, you would have to win six straight matches on day two. Uh, if, if we play it out, then one of us has a shot with five and one. And I think he wasn't really thinking about top eighting this event. So uh, he was like looking at me as if I were crazy. And um, <laughs> I, I still feel bad. Sorry, <laughs> I still still feel bad. I think it's just oh. the, I had to take that decision. And uh, I really wanted to have that guy on day two. But I think overall for both of us, actually, it was better to play it out. So we did. And um, I won. So dream crushed that poor guy. Sorry again. And uh, there was oh. a really an unfortunate incident on day two where um, I had my win and in for the top eight. And uh, my opponent wanted to go to the toilet, to the restrooms. Yeah, during that time, a, f a friend of mine uh, was basically talking to me about uh, magic related stuff, which is forbidden because I was sitting on the table and everything that is about magic while you're sitting at the table is not allowed. It's counted outside existence. So I immediately got the match loss for that. Um, I think it was very fair to give me a match loss because I actually did talk to that guy about magic related stuff. I didn't know back then, but it costed me the top eight. I got ninth place. Harsh. That's, that's, you're one of the few people who actually didn't lose an, a match, like actually lose a match the entire weekend, but still didn't make the top eight. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, you won a GP later. So <laughs> redemption, hashtag redemption, uh, I guess. Okay, cool. Um, Moving on, there's another question from DinoCat. DinoCat sent us a couple of questions. Do you have any tips for a relative newcomer playing your list? Is there like just a couple of rule of thumbs like to take away the, the I don't know, the scare of playing, playing a deck like this? Okay, so I think it's a really fun deck to pick up um, because you will have a steep learning curve. You, you have to be aware that you might be losing a lot in the beginning. But the fun part is that that will change. You will realize it with every matchup you play. It is very important. The first thing that you should have is look what are the like five or 10 most played decks on um, Magic Online and actually have a sideboard plan for that. Um, I probably I should I should do that if I want to help out the beginners publish a sideboard plan because uh, that is one of the easier things to just write down and it will immediately bump your win percentage if you know what what to side in and side out because in this deck again because of brainstorm and ponder it is so important to sideboard correctly because every single action card matters because if you count the number of action cards actually in the deck that are that actually do something um, compared to like force of will, force of negation, ponder, brainstorm, Arkham's astrolabe, sword supplosures, terminus, sylvan library. None of these cards can win the game. <laughs> All the lands can't win the game. So you have a really slow amount, a low amount of cards that actually do anything. So it, it's so important to sideboard correctly to know what you can side out and what you can't side out. So that would be my first uh, and most important thing. If you start playing the deck, have a sideboard plan. And then as much as gameplay goes, um, so one thing I always tell every beginner like five times a match, remember that your fetch lands can fetch Mystic Sanctuary. People tend to forget that a lot. And if you are not used to having Mystic Sanctuary in your deck, this is uh, a common, common mistake that people lose a game where they could just have put Terminus on top and just easily cruise to win. And instead they, they didn't. 
or also in the late game where you're like oh, i need the top deck again put your ponder on top don't forget about that that is really really important Oh, that's some very valuable advice. I, I really like that. And if you will take the time to write a sidebar guide, I think people will totally like be super into that. So if, if you ever have the time, I think that that would be a huge help in promoting this kind of uh, archetype. Especially because because you because you, you do some weird stuff, which I like. I mean, I say weird. It was weird to me, but you set out a terminus against Rugdelva, which to me was like, wow, I did not expect that. But then it, it just plays out well. So um, maybe I'll leave that. Don't, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but leave it for your sideboard guide. You can explain. <laughs> okay, I, I just give the, I still give okay, the give a little recommendation answer, yeah. there. I had the third terminus in the sideboard, and I figured that against Drug Delver, th three terminus is actually too many because it's a situational card. And then now I went down to two terminus. So I back then I didn't side in the third one. Now I went down to two terminus in the main, having none in the sideboard. And I actually sided out one uh, lately. But I think it's wrong. Okay, I think fine. Just keep the two terminus. Two is the perfect number. Never mind then. Yeah. My my feeling. Cool. Yeah, but but you're definitely correct. When I had three terminus, I didn't cite in the third one, which is also a huge part of the reason why I cut it. If I wouldn't cite it in against a creature matchup, uh, other than death and taxes and elves, um, then why is there why why is it even there in the first place, right? Yeah, I, I think I saw one of your streams where I actually cited one of those out, and mm -hmm. I, w I was also like really impressed with that. But it, it's cool to see that you changed your mind on mind on that as as well. I I just wanted to say one more quick thing. So if you see me doing crazy stuff, uh, don't always think, "Wow, he's next leveling everyone." I'm also just sometimes <laughs> trying things out. Like for example, in the tournament that I played this this weekend, I think I got top four despite playing Halbreach and Stifle in my list, and not because I played those cards, which were like the yeah. tech choices for the tournament, but they were actually wrong. Oh, awesome. We're actually going to talk about Hybrid in a short moment here. I want to finish two more questions that we got. Um, we got our friend Sam Dams, Fenris Cloud, sent us another question. And surprise, it's about Infect. No. He's asking, how does Mark feel about the matchup versus Infect? To me, it feels heavily favored for Infect and a good matchup. But I want to hear from the master himself. So, Callum, how does it go? No, <laughs> seriously, Mark. <laughs> wow. No, if, 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 if you Posing like it, Callum can, can definitely do his evaluation. What do you think, Callum? I think it's... A I mean, I'll let you take over in a second, but I think the matchup is incredibly complex and it's probably actually quite even between like equal skill players is what I would assume. Yeah, I, I think I can agree on that. Um, I'm definitely overall have a positive win percentage against it, but it's it's really... <laughs> That, that, that might sound a bit cocky, sorry, but it's it's really sometimes hard for me to judge win percentage as is for a lot of the players that play a lot of Legacy because you're not always playing against the player that played the deck for like 100 years and knows every in and out. So if you if you judge a, a matchup fairly, you would have to judge it with, with similar player level. And I think you're pretty close to the 50-50 that, that Cullum just said, even so I, I, um, I'm way above that. Um, the the reason why I think the matchup isn't isn't as bad as as, as people think it is, is that um, that it's so complex. It's um, it's so important to know when you have to set up your terminus, when you have to sort. Like one of the easier rules, which I think by now most people understand, is don't sort the infect creature in combat. Right? If they if they um, if they play. Uh, uh, pump spell on a creature which is not lethal don't 
don't you dare playing Swords of Plosures if they can still protect it with uh, Vines of the Vastwood or um, yeah, a different protection spell. Because what will happen then is they pay two more mana, they protect it, and they kill you in the same turn. These things happen, so always kill it at the end of their turn. And this is a simple rule, of course, but there's there's definitely more to that in the matchup. You just have to know when you can take the damage and when you can't take the damage. And of course, um, there's also like since I added the Sylvan Library, that one is huge. You can just free freely pay all the life, right? So that helps a lot. And um, also the the Ice Fang Quartals help a lot because. Uh, in earlier days, the matchup was actually unfavored for Miracles before Ice Fang Quartal, I think, and before Shark Typhoon, because the problematic card was uh, the Inkmoth Nexus, uh, which had flying. But now, if you have an Ice Fang in play, they usually don't have a lot of removal. Um, it's really tough for them to win. Awesome. So, yeah, I, th I think Infect used to be one of those decks that traditional Miracles struggled more with, but... I can see how the cards you mentioned um, not swung it around, but made it rather evenish. I guess that means we're going to have a first to ten uh, series between you and Sam coming Let's up to to set oh, yeah, I was about to say money match, money match, money match. Magic should have that, by, by the way. Um, I, I watch a lot of Brood War, like you know, StarCraft One, and that that's a very common thing where uh, streamers they have the um, basically they set up a match arena and then for like a week people can donate to that and then they they play the match and the winner takes all the money cool. and it's a really hype really cool thing and i always look forward to those and if we could have something like that in magic maybe you know I, I don't know maybe i'm gonna work a little bit on that to, to to bring something like that in the future because that would be really cool maybe not like a single best of one because that's there's too much variance on that but something like you know Five matches or something. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, like maybe just one or two the top hours eight, of content. Simul elimination, eight players, something like that would be fun because that would mean that they cannot just skew their sideboard because people by now know what I'm deck I'm That's playing. True. I'm not changing my deck usually, <laughs> so uh, they can just <laughs> if they want. If you want to beat Bunt Miracles, you can. That's actually, that's a really good point. Maybe you either do it like an, uh, an eight man, like you mentioned, or you, you have to make it so that people need to play the deck, the list that they played with in the last big tournament or something, S something like that, that prevents the insane metagaming that would otherwise probably be going on. That's a good point. I mean, you could also show up with an entirely different deck. So there's that, but then that takes a little bit away of, of the excitement of having a certain matchup play out. But that's something to keep in mind. Actually, I, I kind of want to work on that for the future. That would be great. Be cool. Invite me. <laughs> yeah, same. Actually, yeah, I think a lot of people would love Anurag to see Anurag is doing something similar. He's doing, I think he's actually just doing that. It only popped into my head. I think he's doing it for subscribers in his, in his Discord. And I could be saying this wrong. I've just seen him stream one last week. Um... I'll check it out, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah, check it out. I, I saw that too, and I actually asked on Twitter what is what is going on here. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I didn't get an answer. Okay. I think he gets so many Twitter posts these days, yeah. Anzi, uh, the famous Anzi D. Let's find um, out. But yeah, I, I would also be interested in what's going on there. I think the, the way what Anorak does is that he basically has eight players, and they play like a mini tournament, and you, you basically you broadcast that or record it and then later put it on YouTube. Um, what I have in mind is like the, the thing that people do in, in Brood War where you you have the community, you know, chip in the money because they want to see two specific players go up against each other and, and fight it out. And that's part of the draw for that. That's a slightly different concept, I guess. I think it sounds cool. In general, I, I want to do an episode on like third party content in the future. So that's probably like too deep here. But 
I I think like this whole COVID situation for as much as it has hurt, you know, paper play, I think it more than anything ever in the history of Magic before has accelerated, you know, all these third party initiatives, like, you know, all the stuff that Anorak is doing, that that like all the other organizers are doing, um, that MTG Melee, like I, th- I think we wouldn't have seen MTG Melee in, in like a non-COVID scenario or at least not this, fa- this fast. And it's really cool that the community as a whole, like not even Wizards, but even like all the third parties, have put in the resources, the time and the work to create a new ecosystem for for playing Magic competitively, even though right now it's just like, you know, online and that excludes a huge part of the community. And like you mentioned, the, the gathering aspect of Magic. But the the acceleration we saw in, in growth, you know, for like tournament organizing, third party content, that's that's just like a really cool thing that's going on. And I'm happy that the community has st- stepped up. There. Oh, definitely. And I also wanted to contribute to that. I'm actually right now doing a paper magic league via webcam. We called the Bavarian Legacy Masters um, because originally it was planned as a real life event uh, in Bavaria. But now it's kind of worldwide. We have insane, cool, uh, altered promo cards for the winners. And um, I actually played a match last weekend against the um, Pro Tour Top 8 and uh, GP winner Michael Bonde on stream. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you, you can watch it on stream. It was Paper Magic. And that league is still going on. And uh, who knows? Maybe if, if people are interested, I'm going to do a follow-up even. Uh, are the the VODs gonna be on YouTube? Because you know on Twitch they're gonna be eventually deleted. So if you if you wanna export them to YouTube, then we can preserve that for for the afterward. <laughs> yeah, I should maybe do that. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> Quickly, because they they might be um, deleted after I think two weeks or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really cool that you do that. You also have like this really awesome prize, right? That that altered brainstorm that somebody's gonna take home. So yeah, that that's actually a really awesome prize. It's for my favorite altruist, Anders Schmidt. He's so <laughs> overflown with, with alterations. I always ask him and he's like, no, I have so much work to do. I can't do it. And he's do- doing so much stuff. He's such a great guy. And he made the brainstorm uh, with Jace on it, where Jace is um, is brainstorming basically in style of the um, Ice Age brainstorm. And it looks so authentic. It looks like actually like a painting of Jace brainstorming. I... I would really love to win that card. I, I can't say it otherwise. It's I, I will be jealous on whoever wins this thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe they can sell it back to you then. <laughs> no, it says champion on it. So I think it's deserved. And whoever wins it, please keep it. It's uh, it's yours and you're Good point. Yeah, I guess it would be awkward if you if you played with a card that says, hey, I'm the Bavarian Legacy Open champion. And, and then actually I only came fourth. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. That's against, awesome. that, 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 that's against my pride. <laughs> okay, cool. So before we move on, we have one more question from my friend from Austria, Peter Plank. I actually ran into him in Beijing last year. He's asking, Mark, what are your secrets for playing in tournaments, especially with regards, you know, to staying healthy and keeping a good mindset? And I guess it primarily refers to paper tournaments, but it's also applicable to online tournaments. Oh yeah, definitely. And if you if you have to play a long tournament with miracles, you're gonna have to have some stamina. You have to stay concentrated all day. There is no free wins. You will always have long matches. You need to play fast to not get into time. So it's a it's really a grind. I love it. You need to love it. If you don't love that, don't play miracles on a, on a, on huge tournaments. It's 
it won't 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 make it for you but if you love the grind if you if you like to grind out every game just do it and of course exactly what you said you have to stay healthy so what i usually do if i have a long tournament ahead of me these days online tournaments i go um, jogging outside for like not too long 20 minutes or something so i had some some movement then i have a huge bottle of water I'm drinking a lot of water and I'm walking around between rounds um, doing also some some exercises just uh, to keep the blood flowing and these things they it's not just uh, yeah it's it's really important actually it's 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 really important otherwise you can't make it like on eight or nine hours um, in, a, in a row and then also eat something eat something healthy towards the end of the event you can also eat some sugar um, but don't do it like at the beginning because your blood sugar will fall down and you will realize it if you play a long event. These things are actually important. And then of course, stay focused if you, if you need to. Uh, what I mean by that is if you're like the way that I play it is if I'm out of contention for like top eight or the big prizes, I'm playing, um, playing more relaxed, I guess. And if I'm if I'm uh, really still in in contentions, I truly try to to um, to get myself into the game and really don't think about anything else and yeah, get in the zone. I guess is what they say, right? That's also really a huge part of of, um, of playing a complex deck like Miracles. That that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I think especially with regards to paper tournaments, something that I've always tried to stay away from is. When people try to give you all their bad beat stories between rounds, I'm these days kind of abrasive about that. Like I cut them off and like I don't tell them I don't want to hear your story, but I think it comes across pretty well. And I think you when I see you at big turn paper tournaments, you also seem like super relaxed between rounds. You you don't feel like the need to talk over every single situation with somebody else again and, and hear their opinion. I At least that's the impression I got from you when when you won Bologna. Oh, oh uh, definitely. Like... And I think I think that it's so important to stay positive. I wanna I wanna shout out to the whole community exactly what you said, Julian. Please, if you are at the tournament, talk about your successes. Talk about what you won. Don't let everybody know your bad beat story. Like I, I have an example for you. We talked a lot about the green white reclaimer matchup that I had in the top eight this weekend. Uh, which I which I then took down and felt good. I had a strategy. I had a plan. We talked about it. Feels good talking about it. I in the in the um, semifinals, which I actually lost. I, um, I had disastrous games where I just flooded out. Where I drew three times as many lands as I drew spells. These things. But is it is it useful to talk about that? Can you do anything about it? No. Does anybody want to hear about it? No. It just will make. Make uh, people feel bad. So if you are at huge events, try to stay positive. Try to make positive messages. It's really uh, more comfortable for anyone. I'm gonna plus one that with a very very big plus one because there is a in joke which has been for years now in with my London friends. They all ask me. They all try and tell me about bad beats because they know how much I dislike it. I I really 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 don't like hearing about bad beat stories. And now they just constantly come up. And it's also about like asking what your record is and like going, oh I'm X one blah blah. And so um yeah, it, no no one wants to hear how you kind of missed your third land drop and stuff. It happens all the time. So, but yes, do say the cool plays you made because in every game there's always some really cool stuff you did. Yeah, focus on the positives definitely. Cool. 
awesome. So before we move on to our last set of questions, I put those into the end because they were not directly related to, to stuff we were talking about earlier. I want to just, you know, quickly touch on what seem to be the most influential cards from judging by the first results we got over the weekend from Commander Legends. And those are basically Hybreacher, Court of Cunning. And I also want to talk a little bit about Court of Grace because I know that Mark Hugh used to be pretty excited about the white card. So why don't we start with Hybreacher? I think that has been, can we call it the breakout card of the weekend? Because we've seen that card everywhere in almost like half the decks, people trying to make it work, doing some really broken stuff with it. Uh, Color Mark, you've played more than I did this past weekend. Uh, what have your impressions been of Hybreacher? I, I wouldn't call it breakout. Like it's been played a lot and the price is currently insane on MTG. It's like a hundred tickets or something. Um, but that's a separate issue. But it, it people are playing it a lot, but it doesn't seem to be like completely insane. So Mark tried it in his Miracles deck. I think people will try it in Snow a bit as well. But it just doesn't like, it's just a very good card and it is quite a build around card as well. I think it's more of a build around than people expected. And as a just a kind of gotcha card, people will also learn quite quickly how to play around it. It is quite vulnerable, like it's got two toughness. It is just a creature without any anything to help protect it. It um the flash is obviously a big deal, but uh it it is dying to a lot of things. And so I think it's just gonna be like a good card in the format unless some like unless some combo deck or some heavy synergy deck appears. Because people have been five oing with it in the uh, Echo of Eons like Urza deck, which does seem like a natural fit. It seems very good there. I've been messy around with it. I streamed, I think it was yesterday. I'm really getting old and losing my mind. But I streamed with a pretty experimental deck playing a Vision Skeens, which is a two mana instant. Each player draws two cards. And um, Arcane Denial, which is counter target spell. At the beginning of the next upkeep, you draw a card and your opponent draws two cards. Oh, no. The uh, owner of the spell you counter draws two cards. So you can counter your own things. And um, it's also using Days Undoing, which is a time twister, which ends the turn. But um, Mark was in the stream watching as well. And I had Twitch Chat's help because Twitch Chat can do anything for you. They're just so smart and they're so clever and they're never wrong. And especially when you have Mark in the chat making suggestions. So we actually started the League 4-0 and just lost the last round to Tez. Um, in this deck, it also has like fast mana, like Lotus Pedals, four of them and two Chrome Mocks. And then it has a Commandeer and then like usual forces force of wills and two force of negation and the deck played out really well actually a lot better than i expected and it was it kind of looks like a bit of a meme but playing a turn two hull breacher to turn three days undoing is gonna win the game almost always assuming it resolves like mind twisting your opponent to zero and then making seven mana and drawing yourself seven new cards when you have so much counter magic as this <laughs> deck does and more card advantage so um I think that'll be explored a bit more. I definitely will. So I, I really enjoyed your stream and mm. it was really fun to watch. And I think I have some more more comments about Halbreacher. So yeah. I tried it out in, in my deck thinking, oh, it's, it's actually really nice to have a hate there in the main deck that I can um, pitch to Force of Will because it's really nice to have flexible blue cards there because you can pitch them in the matchups where they are not good. And I was mainly thinking about matchups like Elves, actually against basically any combo matchup. Also is something, again, <laughs> that I think about a lot, is Doomsday. And if they resolve the Doomsday, they actually need like uh, at least three turns or 
even more until they can pl finally play their Oracle. Because one huge difference between the, the Hull Breacher and cards like Narset is that the Hull Breacher doesn't even allow you to draw the extra card on your opponent's turn, which is huge. Um, so I was thinking that might be really cool, but what I didn't realize or what I just realized when playing the card in the tournament is that it's just a bad card in like, I don't know, a very high percentage of your matches. I, of course, this is, this is just a, a very small um, amount of data for me, just this one event, but I also looked in the top eight and I was like, okay, there's no match where I wouldn't side it out. No matchup where I wouldn't side it out. It's just, uh, yeah, it, it just has felt bad overall because it's 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 really specific. So you, what I'm getting at is, don't put Halbücher in your blue deck and expect uh, it to be good um, overall. So for the fair blue decks, it's more like a sideboard card. But something I want to really touch on, and I think that is scary to say the least, is something I realized about Halbücher is it's a better splinter twin <laughs> what do i mean <laughs> with that so you can play the hull breacher like a splinter twin creature um like like the pestamite for three mana end of turn but then the second part of the combo which uh will always kill your opponent i can explain why but will basically always kill your opponent is uh it's just the draw seven card for for three mana and um just slipped my mind Callum. how's how's that card called uh, on doing turn Days Undoing, yeah. yeah, sorry. So, right, that's Days Undoing. So it's not a four mana enchantment that you need to put on your creature. It's just the three mana sorcery card that is also blue, so it's also pitchable. And uh, why will it, what I did I mean with it will win the game? Well, mind twisting your opponent and putting seven Lotus Petals on the board and drawing seven cards. I, I can't imagine many situations where that does not win you the game if you did build your deck correctly. Yeah. And, this was um, this will sound silly to say, but when doing that, that felt way more strong than I imagined. And that now we're explaining it, it's like, wow, that's actually yeah, super broken. But doing it and then just draw, because as you said, you need to build your deck correctly. You need to draw into either removal spells or bounce spells or counter magic as well. But if you do that, it, it's so broken, like so crazily broken. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's again, it's it's a new it's a new Splinter Twin deck basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, Splinter Twin wasn't good enough for Legacy. Uh, many people have tried it out, but this is just better than Splinter Twin. And also, both combo parts on its own are better than Splinter Twin because the Hulbreacher can just blow out a random Jace activation or a brainstorm. It's a very very good against uh, again the combo decks that can't handle it. So this part is a good part. So that, that's always when I evaluate combos, right? You need to evaluate the single parts. Are they good if you don't have the combo? And then they are both blue, so they are both pitchable. And um, the days I'm doing also combos very well, not only with Hullbreacher, but you will also play Narset in the same list, of course. So I think um, that Hullbreacher will see a lot of play in Legacy, yes, but mm -hmm. only in dedicated decks. Cool. I like the way you put it, because I didn't think of it like a Splinter Twin deck, but yeah, it, it's just Mono Blue Splinter Twin currently. But you can do some really cool stuff, like you can play Red for Burning Inquiry. Um, or you can play white for sorts of process. <laughs> yes. like I suggested many times when I was in chat. <laughs> I, I, I will definitely do that. I think that's the smart thing to do. But burning inquiry, man. <laughs> yeah, burning inquiry <laughs> is like you make three you make three tokens. 
<laughs> it's more fun. Come on. But wait, for, actually, for with Burning Inquiry, mm. you, you draw six cards, right? That's you six, draw. Uh, uh, never mind. We we we'll kick this Mark guy out from this podcast. No, no. We, we, this is a Burning Inquiry. You draw Inquiry three cards and you net two mana. Oh, but doesn't your opponent also draw three yeah, cards? Yeah, but it, the whole breacher stops them and makes tokens. So you draw the three cards and then you net two mana as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. we're actually going to kick Julian from this yeah, card. So they discard three as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's obviously <laughs> good with Hull Breacher. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't disagree on that. But I think the, the, the combo itself is just strong enough. Just play four Hull Breacher, yeah. four Days Undoing, and just have the combo at the ready. And then the rest of the shell, as I like to do it, just play a normal control deck just play sorts of plushers play brainstorm ponder all the stuff i think i think maybe i should even try it myself the deck just sounds awesome yeah i think you're right and i'm pretty sure the because because what i was streaming yesterday was just mono blue and i know that it's just like the first shell the first idea and um you either want like red for lightning bolt or white for source plushers i'm sure i currently have a list on magic online built to try next with engulf the shores to try without them which is like a four mana instant. You bounce all creatures equal to um, that if the toughness is less than the number of islands you control. So it's a way to kind of like combo and then just bounce the whole board. So I want to try that. But uh, yeah, Maybe you could try a card that costs six mana, but you can sometimes <laughs> cast it for one mana. Uh, I, 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 it slipped my mind, <laughs> but I think there is such. It a card. It sounds pretty broken. I, I think that a card like that wouldn't no. exist. It sounds pretty broken. <laughs> but no, no. But I, way, I will... you, you gotta pick an awesome name for that kind of deck. If if that actually becomes a thing, yeah. we we can't call it like Twin Two Point It's gotta have a well, better no, it can name. Be Breach Two Point because Breacher is. Oh, that's Breach really is bad. Unbanned. Yes, that, I guess <laughs> free Breach, free Breach. But um, I yeah. I think that if if it is actually kind of competitive, I completely agree with Mark that it'll be with white with like four source plushes and two terminus. I do want to. Oh, I think there's a really good shot that that will be a competitive strategy going forward. Let's try it. Or you can play as foretold with uh, Wheel of Fate. Sure, if yeah. you don't want to win, you can do that. Oh, you're so arrow. <laughs> I want to do silly stuff, <laughs> but yeah. Um, going back to silly stuff, what's actually the reasoning behind the commandeer that you included? Because I bet somebody in you know the whole hashtag MTG Finance community was already looking that at is that. Purely one hundred percent because the card is sweet. I mean, that's how you, you how you broke a lot of stuff. Remember how how you tried to make Shark Typhoon a thing, and then it actually accidentally went from a meme True. to a deck. I mean, there was some reasoning because when you're playing draw sevens you're spending mana on drawing lots of cards you're also playing these words of wisdom which is two mana you draw two your opponent draws one vision schemes which is two mana each player draws two uh and then obviously the days undoing is draw seven you want to be able to use these extra cards so i figured that there will be plenty of games where you don't have a whole breacher in play or you, your opponent has removal for it so you want to be able to use these extra cards that you're generating for both players better than your opponent so when you're just having more pitch spells is a way to put ahead in this kind of extra resource kind of games. So that Oh yeah. interesting. Did, did did you already max out on the other forces? The other eight No, forces? there's just there's just two force of negation, but I think at least adding another one makes sense as well. So the commandeer so, could be like another force of negation. But it's Yeah, what I what I just wanted to say is that I think Commandeer was really underrated before Force of Negation got uh, printed. Unfortunately, these days, Force of Negation is almost straight up better. And for those who don't know what Commandeer does, is, um, it's an instant, a pitch count. It's not really a counter, right? It's you steal a non-creature spell, but you. I think if I remember correctly, you have to pitch yeah. two so blue cards, Yeah, so you may exile right? two blue cards from your hand rather than paying its mana cost. And then you gain control of target non-creature spell. You may choose new targets for it. 
It costs seven mana normally, which is exactly the amount of treasure tokens you make off Hull Breacher and Days Undoing as well. That is a that is a twin situation. <laughs> it's it's so perfect. <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe after this I'll stream the white version. Or actually tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to try and stream the uh, a blue-white version. Mark, if you have some ideas, definitely let me know. Definitely. Also splash red for red blast, always. Okay, we're doing three colors now. Okay. I mean, it's not really three colors. You can always play the volcanic in the sideboard like I like to do. Maybe mm-hmm. we should shortly touch on that. So yeah. there's there's two things that I strongly believe in in Legacy. So I, I explained before why I think that the best decks in Legacy have and will always have brainstorm ponder and force in them and if that is the case and uh, then the best card to answer that is actually red blast so your deck should have red blast red blasting a brainstorm it's just awesome so and um, it's so easy to splash red blast with fetch lands right so what i like to do is put the volcanic into my sideboard and maybe short words to that to that as well the volcanic in the sideboard a lot of people always ask me about it is it worth the sideboard slot and i am very very sure that it is actually the reasoning being that you would otherwise put a non-basic island into your main deck because you don't need the red mana for anything it's a non-basic island that doesn't cast your astrolabe it's just a very very bad island that can be wastelanded and that matters in so many matchups that the percentage points you get in all those matchup accumulated definitely make up for the one card you put into the sideboard. And there's one more thing, the card in the sideboard is also good because there are certain matchups like Death and Texas where you would like to go up like two, maybe even three lands if you could. So every land you can put into your deck is just a bargain. And I just put it in every time I play those uh, wasteland matchups as an additional land. Makes sense, makes sense. It was always a weird thing, like explaining why you're sideboarding in a, a volcanic island that doesn't cast any spells with the red side against death and taxes and stuff. Be like, nah, I'm happy siding in a, a, a non-basic island, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go, going back to st- um, qu- quickly touching back on what we talked about earlier with regards to you know you know like tactics and strategy and stuff. That was one of the biggest eye-opening moments for me when I started learning uh, like a couple of different decks and legacy when. People who really understood their decks really well, they told me, okay, you know, in this matchup, you actually side out this and that basic land. Like, whoa, <laughs> I would have never thought about that. And sometimes I feel like there's the danger of cool things where you like, you want to, like Mark mentioned, you want to go to the next level and you want to do the smart thing. But I think in, 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 at least historically in a couple of occasions um, with regards to certain matchups, that was actually like the right thing to do. And I think a lot of people don't think about that that much. For example, with Elves, I... When I play against like really grindy matchups um, that don't attack my lands, I sometimes side out like a cradle or even two. And that's because that's just like my experience that sometimes they just pile up in my hand and I can't even use them like a stack rituals because that's not how the matchup plays out. And I, I often get comments on my stream where people are like, whoa, I would have never thought about that. And I think that's always like when you can come to a deeper understanding where you take something into consideration for example like mark mentioned you just bring in the volcanic island against death in texas just like as an extra yeah. land and that's i said that lands all the time especially on the draw because you can you have the extra extra card to draw into um any decks that aren't pressuring your life total i generally like to side out a land on the draw it, it obviously doesn't apply to everything there there are combo decks don't want to do as much but yeah it's it's definitely underappreciated what you can do with lands here and there Moving on to um, two other cards that we quickly want to touch on, and those are the two 
cards which we expected to at least be tried out in Legacy as opposed to the other three cards which probably won't be doing anything. And those are Court of Cunning and Court of Grace. The blue one for three mana, um, both of them make you become the monarch. The blue one mills for 10 if you're the monarch and the white one gives you a 4-4 four, four flying angel creature token if you're the monarch. Otherwise, you're just going to get a 1-1 one, one white creature token. And But does the blue one actually do it? Mills for two cards. Okay, that's not too impressive uh, if you're not the monarch. How, how have you guys experienced those cards? Because I know that Mark was super high on Court of Grace for like a couple of weeks, but I think you've come down on the card a little bit, right? So yeah, I, I was actually not high on it for a couple of weeks, but when I initially saw it, my first reaction was like, wow, this is insane. And the, the reason why I was also on that reaction is like, I guess, similar to Narset. It's a card that <laughs> could just beat me on its own, like beat the control matchups on its own. So I tend to over-evaluate cards which are good against Bunt Miracles is what I'm saying here. And that card is certainly good against Bunt Miracles. And uh, so that's why I think I overvaluated it as first, because um, the problem with that card is obviously that you have a four mana card that takes a turn to get going. And in this turn it takes to get going, you are actually not supposed to lose the monarchy, which means you can't also take damage. And if you consider which games are the games where you can actually afford to play a four mana card, and um, in the same time manage that your opponent can't do anything, can't win with a combo, can't attack you for one damage. These games are very rare, uh, far in between, I guess, and only really occur in control mirrors. So I think it's just a card for control mirrors. But why did I think it was so strong? Because obviously a control deck can't really beat drawing two cards a turn and making a 4-4 angel. That's completely ridiculous. And if you want to beat on control decks, this card is great. So is this something you would probably like say consider for for a deck like Death in Texas? Oh, I didn't even think about about that. I mean, it has some anti synergy with uh, with Talia, but. which is maybe a problem. But I, I, now that you say it, I think it sounds a lot stronger than Gideon, which are most of the Death in Texas players have in the sideboard. Yeah, I was wondering. Maybe it's something to be explored there. Because actually, I didn't see any Court of Grace over, over the weekend, ever since the cards were released. But I saw a ton of Court of Cunning, and I know a lot of people are still brewing with Court of Cunning to make it work. Uh, is, is that something that excites you? Uh, because we talked about, right? You, I think you had it as a one-off in, in your experimental list, like in the flex slot. Oh yeah, I have it currently yeah. in my list, yes. Um, I I think uh, it's, it's, it's... As I said, it, it does some things which I want which I want my flex slots to do. It generates card advantage. Uh, it's um, good a certain, against a certain combo deck. And um, so it, it, it does these things. And I still need to test it out a lot more because of course there will be a lot of situations where you can't play it out. If you if your opponent, if you can't stop an Ice Fang Quartal end of turn and they have two mana open, you just can't play it out. So there will be a lot of situations where you can't play it out. And I suspect that overall the card is uh, also in the control and the combo uh, matchups worse worse than Servant Library. But I wouldn't want to have too many Servant Libraries because that card is also slow, right? That, that's the same thing that I just said with Call of Grace, right? Servant, Servant Library is also slow. You need to have it in play for an entire turn um, until you can actually activate it. And that will be the same problem with all these Monarch cards. They are like super slow, grindy card advantage. 
So um, I think it's, it's quite situational, but when you get there, it's super powerful because it, it will not only draw you cards, it will also mill you. Um, so you have your Auror in your graveyard, so you have targets in your graveyard for Mystic Sanctuary, which you hopefully don't mill out of them. <laughs> so you can bring back, <laughs> back spells, that's, that's also important. And it's a win condition, right? There are some matchups where you're like struggling, um, we are struggling in to, to win, where the, which is the reason why I put in the, the Shark Typhoon to go over the top. But this card could also be a card that goes over the top, because if you can protect your Monarch, your opponent is dead in like four turns because you mill 40 cards. Yeah, my, I, I'm excited to see what the card is going to be capable of doing. Um, I think there's some potential there, and it's probably the most likely of the cards to... If it's ever broken, that's probably going to be this one. Um, but right now, it's it seems okay. Nothing crazy about it. Callum, have you been able to play with Card of I Gunning? played a league with um, Rest in Peace, Energy Field, Helm, and... I'm glad to say I never have to play it again for another two or three years and don't get like trapped into it. It's so bad, that shell. <laughs> I'm sorry. If, I know there's loads of people who love that deck, but it, I just thought Court of Cunning is really good with um, Island Sanctuary. And uh, our friend Francis Cowper, the Lord, as we like to say, he had the idea and he wanted to play four Island Sanctuary, four Court of Cunning in the Man Traders event. But Island Sanctuary is currently bugged on Magic Online. So it's a uh, two enchantment for one a white mana. And at the beginning you may skip your draw for your turn and if you do you can't be attacked by creatures unless they have flying and or island walk so it's it's a really good curve it's not good against delver but like a flip delver but that's about it nice fan quattle but you can curve turn two island sanctuary into turn two, turn three court of cunning and then the court of cunning gives you your like extra land drop to then pull ahead until you can control the board and um this kind of shell is very good with moat as well um, obviously, like Moat is already very good against Delver because of Arcanist and Oko and um, all their threats apart from Delver are ground-based creatures. So I thought maybe this kind of blue-white pillow fort stompy thing might be good. I was even playing like two City of Traitors and stuff, but no, that wasn't very good. But uh, like we mentioned on the the podcast last time about with spoilers, I think it's still probably okay as a one-to-two of in Delver sideboards and. Um, Peter White, who is Power 22, uh, people might have run into him on leagues quite a lot. He, uh, he's been posting, he posted a 5-0 a couple of days ago, and he's been doing very well with like Bant, Court of Cunning. He only has two, but the deck is kind of built around it. So he has four Ice Fangs, he has two Court of Cunnings, he has two Moats, and then he has like Source Power Shares, all the cantrips. It's similar to Mark's deck, honestly, but it's using Moat and Court of Cunning a lot more. And he has like two old school counter spells cool. in there. So if you want to check his list out, it's Power22MTG on Twitter. Um, he said he hasn't played too much the last day or two, but he was Ato with the deck so far. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. So is he is he using Court of Cunning kind of like like a chase, like a planeswalker, like a protect the green strategy? Yeah, and he, he's just like, you just need three turns of protecting it and then you mill your opponent out because the deck... That's a lot faster than chase. Yes, yeah. Like milling 10 is obscenely fast. It's... It's, I mean, you know how I feel about the Monarch already. And then when you have just like milling 10 on it, 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 yeah. Especially with Moat. Moat is kind of an auto win against a lot of decks. Again, like a deck with four source plow shares and Ice Fang Quattles, you're going to be able to kill a Delver. And if you stick Moat against a uh, Rug Delver currently, they can't beat it without like bolting you out as well. Um, elves can't beat it unless they have sideboard Assassin's Trophy. Yeah, the first game is pretty yeah. hard. Actually, I've seen some elves lists play Reclamation Sage again, and 
yeah, people were speculating whether that's like the part um, that gives us trouble against, for example, death and taxes is usually like enchantments mm -hmm. and sometimes artifacts. Uh, okay. So maybe there's a world where Rex yeah. comes back. I don't know. But I do think it's worth trying Court of Cunning with Moat. Um, Moat is just good right now. It's four mana. It, it's it's expensive, but it's very high power level against Delver and a lot of other decks, really. Okay. So I think those are the cards that are going to be the most interesting moving forward. Uh, two others that didn't really do anything over the weekend yet were Opposition Agent and Wheel of Misfortune, which I guess are the only other ones that were really considered for maybe having a big impact on Legacy. Yeah. And Wheel of Fortune is <laughs> unfortunately bugged in the sense that it actually shows you what the opponent has chosen <laughs> in secret. That's like it's the, really the funny stupidest bug. bug. <laughs> that, that, is, that is an insane bug, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they, they have fixed it because like just today they released um, basically an out of sequence update. Usually they, they update Magic Online on Wednesdays, but this week they did it on Tuesdays and they managed, they met, uh, they met mentioned that they fixed a couple of bugs, so okay. maybe they fixed it. <laughs> I, when I saw a streamer play it, he was like <laughs> looking yeah. at it and he was telling me, why do I see what my opponent chose? <laughs> So yeah, and apparently Opposition Agent is also bugged. Um, Rebel Cheap um, submitted a bug report to Magic Online earlier today um, because Opposition Agent should show you the content of the opponent's hand, but it doesn't. It's like it doesn't break the card, but it certainly makes it weaker. So, I feel like Rebel yeah. Cheap is just like the, the curse, excuse my pun, on Magic Online because <laughs> poor guy, He so he plays this uh, Curse Stompy deck, which is very cool, and he's been doing very well with it, honestly. And so he's put four opposition agent in this deck. Um, just history on the other deck, though. So he plays Curse of Misfortunes, which is at the beginning of your upkeep, you search for a curse and you attach it to your opponent. And it's a curse itself for five mana. And um, Cruel Reality is like the wing con for the deck. It's a seven mana curse. And at the beginning of your opponent's upkeep, they sacrifice a creature or a planeswalker. And if they don't, they lose five life. So it's a really, really perfect finisher kills very fast kills the creatures or planeswalkers um that has been bugged for like what feels like 10 years at this point it's, it's really like a few months but poor guy has been trying to play this deck and it's been bugged for so long and they fixed it recently and then with the whole catastrophe last week it got bugged again <laughs> but like a different bug <laughs> i feel so bad because so the new bug is previously i think it just didn't trigger or something oh, that's probably wrong but the new bug is it hits him as well so he has to lose five life <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfair oh, <laughs> so I, I, no i feel sorry yeah. too that that poor guy and so and so now he's trying to get this fixed again and now this awesome new card for his deck opposition agent which i think the card has been massively overhyped but i think it's still quite good and it's perfect for this deck because he's playing Chromox and Ancient Tombs and, and stuff and he, and City Traders, or he's playing Dark Rituals. So he can turn one this card very often and it's going to be pretty good there. I've seen um, multiple people say they put up five O's with it, which is cool. But that this is bugged as well. It's like, come on, give the guy a break. So, uh, <laughs> Dude, he's like he's like a debugging engine. Like He, he plays all the weird yeah. cards and he's submitting all these bug reports. It's only, it's only two cards now and one of them is new. So uh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> It is the Curse's archetype. Oh, Definitely yeah. Cursed. Yeah, yeah, I, that's. I guess that's f on flavor. Yeah. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how he can feel <laughs> better. Cursed. Yeah. 
Hopefully they fix it. So the, the main reason why I could never play the Curses deck is actually when I, I have been on the other side of that deck for, for uh, multiple times. And whenever they play like Dark Ritual, Dark Ritual, Curse You, and you have Veil of Summer, I feel like oh, their heart must oh break goodness. into two pieces. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh I never oh thought of God. that, actually. That's, oh, that's really mean. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that is oh, that is a real heartbreaker. <laughs> but yeah, I think you you said it exactly right. I think that the opposition agent is a very niche card. It's it's it is uh, in in some contents um, a, a hate bear against combo decks. But then it costs like three mana. It isn't blue. It isn't pitchable. So you have to have a specific reason to run this hate bear, I guess, over other hate bears. And I think those reasons, they're exactly what Callum just said. You have Dark Ritual, Turn 1, you have Ancient Tomb, you have um, things that um, accelerate him out really fast, and then it's a great card. But other I, other than that, I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Like Strypho is playing three in odd. his deck. Um, we'll see if that pans out, because Strypho does have a... Main deck? Yeah, main deck. <laughs> wow. Uh, he, he has a very good nose for stuff. Like He was one of the first people to just say, Uro is flat out bust in Legacy. Um I think I was playing kind of like Chalice decks with it as well and saying this card is great. And he was playing it in his deck from just day one. He was like, yeah, it's just a matter of time till people play this card everywhere. And he was bang on. So, um, yeah, just waiting to see what happens because, as I said, he's got a good nose for this kind of stuff. But but my gut says exactly how Mark described it and how I said it before. It's it's a cool card in some decks, but um, I'm skeptical of finding a home in lots of fair decks, like consistently in high numbers and stuff. Okay, so moving on, talk, talking about other cards that are not playable in Legacy. Well, our friend, good brother, um, Scott, uh, the owner of Paragon Games, he's got a question about Yorian Death and Texas. You know, the, the Yorian list that I think XJ Cloud mm -hmm. recently popularized. And he's just wondering what Mark thinks about the Yorian Death and Texas list. Just, just to be quickly, something... quickly, a housekeeper It was um, Phil Braverman that did it first ages ago, and then Jason Murray... And then XJ got it from there. And then from there, they've all built it and stuff. So just to be a yeah, picky. That's why I said popularized, right? Ah. He's basically the one who, who made people aware of it. Yes, and that I think most people associated with him with that. True. But yeah, carry on. I actually didn't know where it was coming from. So I think about the Death in Texas question, I think that's a really, really interesting question. And the reason why it's so interesting is that I do actually believe that it's very close. Um, it's very close between the 80-card deck and the 60-card deck. And the 80 card deck has some good reasons why um, why it could be better. And these reasons are specifically that you can put more um, more silver bullets into your deck and not draw them as often and just find them with your recruiter. And that's obviously great. You can also put Yurion into your hand. And Yurion is actually a great late game card for Death in Texas. Whenever I play against the 80 card deck, I'm really concerned about Yurion and I need to have uh, stabilize the board and have a force of will backup because if they resolve that card and protect it with Karakas and get value by flickering, um, there comes into play effects. It's a really strong card in Death in Texas. And at the same time, if you have an Atavile, um, you often have the mana free to put Yurion into your hand. So these are all upsides for the 80 card, 80 card deck. But then I think the, the problem why it's not just strictly um, the better option 
is that in the it's it's obvious too I guess but in the 60 card version you draw your more important cards more often of course so cards that are super important in my opinion um, are the Etavile and the Talias you just want them basically every game and uh, it's 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 just less likely to draw them with 80 cards and then the second problem that that I faced was the biggest problem actually playing 80 cards when I tried Urion myself. I guess I tried it in blue decks, but it's a similar problem, is that your sideboard cards are just not as impactful. You will not see them as often. So I think it's a really close question. I personally would register the deck with Urion because I just think it's more fun and more fun to play and it's a cooler version. But I think it's very close and you should just play what you are more comfortable with. Yeah, I feel similarly that it's it is close. Um, it's very easy. I've seen a lot of people kind of just throw out the idea of playing eighty cards because you do want to see the vials much more consistently. But um, Yorin is super real. Like it, it is the thing that swings the uh, snow matchup, um, and that matchup is obviously incredibly popular. And it is tough for Death and Taxes. Um, Skyclave Apparition made the matchup probably about fifty fifty. Uh, Snow has more tools, arguably, to kind of uh, pull ahead if it needs to. But Yorion is so strong. You just you can tip the vial up to five and have a cracker sub, like you mentioned. And um, I've seen Jason Murray and XJ just destroy Snow decks consistently with this plan. So um, they, they've said it's, for, it's to make Snow a, an easy matchup, which I think it does. And they're okay losing the consistency in the other matchups for that because because they play against it so much. Wow. That, that's a pretty big statement. Yeah. <laughs> Something that, that I honestly like, I, I'm not a big fan of Yorian Death in Texas. I think I would always register the normal one, but I can see the appeal of the Yorian one. And th something that puts it over the top, or, or rather, like puts it beyond my threshold of being playable is that you can bounce it with Caracas. You know how, how you can you can wild it in for five if you want to and you can bounce it with Caracas. So you get like an irrepeatable effect. It's not like this one shot effect that you get from Yorian, but it's gonna be a thing that's gonna be really hard to get rid of for the death, uh, for the control player unless they wanna, you know, two for one themselves by having two sorts of plowshares on it in response to Caracas, at which point it's basically a zero for two because it came from your sideboard. So that's something that makes it so that I wouldn't dismiss it. Um, I just really like the lean effectiveness of, of the 60 card Death and Texas build, but we are certainly seeing your Death and Texas do really well in the metagame right now. Yeah, for sure. There, there's there's really merit to both. I think if Snow like, just didn't exist, then you wouldn't be playing it. Or if it was just like a small portion of the metagame, then you wouldn't see Yorian. I think all the players who are playing it would agree but it's because they need to beat this matchup consistently, which, yeah. I think it's really cool that there are two versions of the deck which are really, really different, not just one card different, just really different, play differently. And we're talking about it, and it's it's pretty clear that these, these two versions are very close in power level and that people can just choose whichever one they like. I think that's so great if you have a lot of options in a format, which, which cards and which decks to play. So I love this component that Yurion brings to the table for Death in Texas. That actually takes me to the second uh, part of Scott's question, because he's asking how we feel about the companion mechanic in the way it works right now and whether we like would have preferred the original one obviously you know we all played through Lurus and Lurus was busted so we shouldn't probably like evaluate co the companion mechanic based on Lurus but more on the the original template without Lurus and I guess maybe Serda because there's somewhat of a small push in the community 
to basically, you know, bring back the old lures, uh, the old companion mechanic, as opposed to like having to pay three mana. Um, how do you feel about that? So I have a very strong opinion on that, actually. And I, I wrote that on Twitter before. And that is that I think that the companion mechanic is straight up genius. It's a great mechanic. I love it. I loved it way better when the companion was just your eighth card in your hand. But wizards screwed up. They just screwed up so massively when they designed the cards. The problem is that a card like Yorion um, or um, Lurus, Lurus even more, or Surda, are just way too broken for the amount of deck building restrictions you put there. I think if you put Yorion, you bump it up to 100 or 120, um, just a different <laughs> design of the card, and you just have it as your 8th card in your hand, I think that would be way cooler. And there is one card, I think, where they hit it on the spot, the design is awesome, and um, that card is the Otter, the, how is he called, the, the blue, the blue, 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 red one, Lutri. I think that card is perfect design. It's so great. It, it, it puts a lot of restrictions on your deck. You can eat, have each card only once in your deck, only a single card of each card. But those decks would be crazy fun to play. And you get this insanely strong um, card on, into each of your opening hands. But nobody would say that that is busted, and I'm pretty sure it would not break the format, and it would make the companion mechanic great because it would actually add like a completely different angle, a completely different deck to the format, a completely different play pattern, and that's just awesome. And if you choose to have a companion, then it's really powerful because you don't have to pay three mana to put it in your hand; you just have it there. But you know, you had some really tough hoops to jump through, and that's my opinion on on the mechanic. I think the mechanic is great but the cards were balanced in a horrible way. Yeah, that's that's exactly pretty much how I feel about it. Uh, you make a good point about how the restrictions should make it so that the deck you play is really unique. Uh, I, I used to think I kind of wanted to, to the, the companions to boost, you know, the, the less competitive decks of Legacy, uh, like the, the not-so-powerful ones that could use something like that. But I guess that's really hard because that basically changes all the time. So you're basically saying that the, the restrictions should bring about an entirely new deck, an entirely new archetype. You know, how, how I think Lurie, is, is it Lurie? I already forgot Lutri. the name, does it? Lutri, that's the one. Because Lutri would basically bring about a deck that we've never seen before. Um, and for those who don't know the restriction is, I think you can only play one-offs, right? Is, is that how it works? Non-basics. Yes. Non-basic yeah. one-offs, yeah. yeah. So, I think all, no, just non-lands, actually. You can have four Flooded Strand in your decks, too. Aha, uh -huh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Yeah, I guess, you, you know what? Maybe they actually really hit the mark with that card. Yeah. <laughs> so... That card is so great. I love it. I, I hate that they that they just, by doing this companion rework, they made that card unplayable. And it was just a very cool card before that. I, I would like my guess would be that wizards will never go back to the original design and unless you know they they have a future set that heavily revolves around companion and they maybe will rework it mm. but usually when they decide something one way they never really go back on it except for i guess the only time they did something like this was with Golgari grave troll and modern which was like unbanned and then banned again that's like one of the few times that wizards went like that that was weird that though direction. because I think the card was a fine unbanned and then they printed Cathartic Reunion like within the same month that it got unbanned to try out. So it was kind of turbocharged. 
But I, I, I wish that they would actually do that with Legacy. Um, I wish they would try unbanning stuff. But that that's a whole nother episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One day, Earthcraft shall rise I think again. You could, Somebody I think you could unban a, a third of the Legacy ban list. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I would. I would love to do an episode on that. If you if you have me back in like half a year and want to talk about absolutely uh, which cards should get unbanned, I'm a strong proponent of of unbanning cards in Legacy. There's so many cards that are just sitting there, and they they would just they could just be free. Like why was Lantex banned for so long, <laughs> right? And there's similar things yeah. for so many of those cards. I mean, just think, Black Vice was banned. <laughs> And it, yeah, like ridiculous. of all the cards ever unbanned in Legacy, I think Blackwise had the smallest impact ever. Like even Lantex saw a little bit of play in some yeah. experimental builds. Nobody ever tried breaking Blackwise in Legacy. When I got unbanned, um, a guy that I buy a lot of singles off, I did. Uh, I ordered a set because I was like, okay, well I'm going to try it out since it got unbanned. And he messaged me, he's like, Callum, are you sure you want these? It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that says everything you need to know yeah, yeah. awesome so yeah uh, moving on we have uh three more questions um the next one is from quash and that's my favorite question actually who does mark hate facing on magic online the most apart from callum and that's particularly apart from callum of yeah. course that's particularly about which player like you, you don't need to hate the player maybe you just like you hate facing them you know that, that's a really good question um, un unfortunately, I've not been on a Modo long enough to realize that I played against anyone more than one time. And uh, as such, my win percentage as against Cullum is actually 0%. So <laughs> yeah, Cullum, Cullum might be my nemesis. He might also not be. Who knows? But um, <laughs> um, no, honestly, I think um, the combination of a player that plays decks that are good against Bunt Miracles, but at the same time is a very strong player, those are the scariest for me. And uh, the number one name that drops into my head would be Pokemoki, the creator of Pokepile. Because I think Pokepile is, is definitely a bad matchup for Bunt Miracles. You're definitely unfavored by a lot, actually. And if you then have the pilot who actually built the deck and like he's he's going crazy. He like I think he's five out three or four leagues in a row with it this month. He has the, the, the trophy leader. He is insanely good with the deck. And it's a bad matchup, like <laughs> I can't imagine him not being my nemesis on Modo. Oh, that that's the next that's that, that's the next well we can't call it a grudge match, but the next, you know, first to ten matchup that we, we gotta set up for for our awesome league there. <laughs> I would love to see Mark and, and Pokemoki Chef get mm -hmm. get at it for for You, you would love to get me see destroyed, right, Julian? <laughs> Dude, I've <laughs> seen I'm you destroyed sure many, happens. many times in paper. Um but I've also seen you win even more times in paper. We can set this up. <laughs> He's playing at Sam as well from earlier, so Let's get something going. Definitely. Oh yeah, I I'm in the Mark Gauntlet. Just throw like the, the Mark best Gauntlet. players. Oh my god, that's like you know Scott Pilgrim against the world. He has to like beat all those amazing people. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay, cool. So moving on, we have a friend. Uh, we we have a question from my Bavarian friend living in Japan now, Kai Savatari. Hey Julian, do you eat bratwurst and sauerkraut during rounds of Legacy Challenge? Uh, no, I I actually eat them afterwards. Uh, no, seriously, like <laughs> I I think apparently there's like this whole meme that Germans eat sauerkraut. I think in my entire life I've eaten sauerkraut like twice, like uh, bratwurst, like like maybe once or twice a year, but not like at home. Sauerkraut, I don't know. I I really don't know where that's coming from. Mark, how often do you eat sauerkraut? Oh, I like sauerkraut. I think it, it, since I read about it that it's like super healthy and it's a food that you can just 
um, it, it will it will not uh, get bad. Um, it will not spoil, so you can have it for years in your in your uh, pocket. In your, in your pocket, I guess. No, but yeah, you can you can just you just put it uh, in, in, into your somewhere in your kitchen, and you can just whenever you feel like it, you just pull out some sauerkraut. Like I got this this image in my head right now, where it's just like all over your apartment, there's like patches of sauerkraut, and you just like dig into them, and or you take them out of your bag at the tournament, you're like. Got some sauerkraut, yes, superpowers. <laughs> it's the, no, I, I really like sausage and sauerkraut, so you got me there, guy. <laughs> it's the secret okay, to winning with miracles: just eat sauerkraut and sausage. Oh, the, you, you're like Popeye, but with sauerkraut. <laughs> the German Popeye. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> okay, moving on to our final set of questions. This time, I'm coming from our good friend Tom the Decker from Belgium. He's got four different questions. So the first one is, what is Mark's process for deck development slash tuning? Do you work alone or do you work with teammates? So how is that working for you, Mark? I actually work alone, but I think I think a lot about it. I, I spend a lot of time tuning my deck. Like people that know me, they always get annoyed by how much I talk about how I want to tune the last card in my deck. Like I think you, you could even just hear this episode and know what I mean because how much <laughs> did I talk about that flex lot and that's just one card out of the 75 and I could probably talk about each and every single card every single decision like like also the mana base every single land every every single card every single number I've gone through multiple times in my head um, thinking why is it the correct number why is it not which matchups does it benefit which one does it not I'm just theory crafting a ton with this deck and I've tried to fine-tune it to perfection so that's that's what I'm trying to do and I mostly do that alone and I use theorycraft and of course I use uh, to a lesser extent uh, testing cool so I guess that's that's a big reason why a lot of us enjoy magic right to a certain degree people really want to theorycraft and like work on those little small percentages to to make an overall better outcome so yeah I mean I, I can totally relate to that. And I think most people who've been sitting or tr playing the same deck for a while, they, they develop that kind of approach to the deck. That's it's cool. definitely, for example, how Archmage Charm got the deck. I thought like it, <laughs> it, it does so many things I wanted to do, but then it's three mana and Counterspell was actually bad. And I love Counterspell, but I had to cut it. And I was like, how can Archmage Charm ever be good? And then I theorycrafted about it. Then I played it a couple of games and it was great. So you just yeah you just have to think about the things you have to also try them out of course you cannot just theory craft but especially in a deck like band miracles every single decision matters because again of ponder and brainstorm and as i said in the beginning of the show there's matchups for example i put in the shark typhoon about i think six, six weeks ago and there were matchups that went from unwinnable to being good matchups and that would be for example green white reclaimer that's, and that's really just cool, one man. card one card That's that's the nature of legacy. <laughs> yeah, that that's this joke, right? Um, I've got this bad matchup. How did you fix it? I added one sideboard card. Now it's favorable. <laughs> All we need is sharks. That that, yeah. that is that that is actually that joke is actually has a really really, yeah, has a, has, a, has, a, has some a lot of truth in it. I think in the brainstorm ponder decks, it's just so crucial to have that one card that um, beats them. 
Awesome. So talking about the future, Thomas also wondering about your quote-unquote pro status, right? Because after you won the GP, I think you played in two or three pro events, as in like, you know, pro tours or whatever they, they are called now. And he's asking whether you have any aspirations, you know, for making it into rivals or maybe even MPL or are you rather focused on just eternal formats? So, um, yeah, I have, I have a, that is a very good question because I think a lot of people, they think, oh, it would be so great to be there, get in the MPL, play in the Pro Tour. And I uh, have absolutely don't have that feeling, honestly. I uh, played in these three events. I had the two uh, players tour regionals and you actually, you qualify directly if you win a GP for the players tour finals, which is, which is like even, I think, better than a PT was before because it's even smaller. What I mean by better is better player field, I guess. So it's really hard to qualify for it. You have to first qualify for the players to regionals and then do really, really well in that. Or you have to win a GP or you have to be in the MPL. So that's why it's only just right above 100 players in it. And so I played these three events and I actually did, I think I did really well. I I um I won multiple thousands of euros uh, dollars. I got um I got uh, into day two um two out of three events. I actually got into the top um, sixty four in those, and um, in the one I could have I could have maybe even gotten into top sixteen. And that is actually true. Uh, my internet fell out right in the in the in the round of the players to finals. So I lost the round, which, uh, where I had, as I, I'm not exaggerating. I basically had little on the stack. I could, I could have cast in that turn an expansion explosion for 20 damage. So I, I, I had little and actually, um, Mike Segrist tweeted about it. He was like, Hmm, looked like my opponent had little, but then, um, didn't play the card. <laughs> so yeah, that was what heartbreaking. Okay. But that, that was a story on the side. What the point that I wanted to get at, I did decently well at these events, but I did not enjoy them at all because I hate, I hate playing formats that I don't want to play. That's the first thing. Um, I just don't really enjoy, um, if somebody forces me to play historic or standard <laughs> and I just hate it because magic is my hobby i like to choose what i want to do and i like not to be dictated by wizards and then it really feels like a job so that's the one thing the other thing is that the that the tournaments themselves i guess they were at home this time so i, I, I played them from home and it just felt yeah like more like a test than really fun because you're sitting there in your room you're playing all those hours uh, you need to be very concentrated and then also the field is like super mega omega competitive right you um it, it's not the same like fun jokingly thing when you sit down at the gp against the legacy player it's really uh, i almost want to say cutthroat you really have to get down to it to win you have to use every single option you have that's i think by pros they a lot of them they try to use every edge call the judge and these things it's actually true i guess it's their job they need to perform and they need to get every percentage point but this it's absolutely not a world i would um i would love to join and then in the beginning i also said it i always prioritize my job i love my job i love working on artificial intelligence as much as I like to play Magic and <laughs> get a lot of more money out of that than ever playing Magic in the MPL. So I I really have no aspiration to get there. Cool, cool. So I, I, I like that you, that I mean, 
there's always this this allure of you know becoming a pro playing on the pro tour but if you if you if you're in a position where you can say dude this is my hobby and i want to play it for fun and i don't enjoy these other formats that's if you're aware of that and you don't have these kind of aspirations then you know all the money you win in events like this that's just like a bonus but you you don't consider it like oh i need to perform here to you know chase my dream of the rivals mpl whatever and exactly especially this year even like just with regards to prize money i think with all the third party events that are going on right now you can even like win quite a lot of money in legacy these days so it's not like like you by making that decision you're leaving a ton of money on the table compared to how much extra time you would need to invest so that that's a cool thing to do um that also segues into tom's third question what do you actually do like during your free time um do you play like other formats do you play like do you have any hobbies that that you do outside of magic and I guess that would be your your chance to to name drop Commander, old school Commander. I think is a format you've been promoting a lot. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So basically, what I do outside uh, in my in my free time. So first of all, I of course want to name. I have two children. They're two and four years old. They're absolutely awesome. I love to play board games with them. That's like my favorite thing to do outside of playing card games. And then what else do I do in my free time? I play other card games. Uh, or magic other formats. I just love the old formats of all of those uh, card games. I love to play. I, I just recently got into um, old school, magic old school, where you can only play the cards from 93 and 94. And I I just found that the community there is, is just as great as the legacy community. It even has some overlap. Our friend Francis, like Callum's and my friend Francis, he's playing the format and it's just so much, so much fun um, to play these these old formats that don't change, where you don't need to buy cards all the time, where you can play your strategy with you like, where it's not about winning. Actually, it's really not about winning, but it's about playing the most fun deck that you enjoy. For example, I just love Ivory Tower. I, would, I wouldn't touch a, an old school deck without Ivory Tower in it. So my old school deck has four Ivory Tower. That's, that's just fun for me. That's what I do outside of playing Legacy. And then what's also really important is it's not only these old school formats, where actually, you, you just said it, Julian, where we kind of invented, I guess it was there before, but our community invented the format that's called Old School Commander. It's just basically you have all the old school cards available, inclu including Black Lotus and all the stuff. Uh, it's all allowed, uh, Soul Ring, Moxen, um, Time Walk, but you can only play the commanders also from the from the old sets from, 39, uh, from 93 and 94. And now you would say, okay, that those are just the, the commanders from Legends. But no, there's actually some namesake cards which should have been Legends but never were Legends. I, I think they, there's some reasoning because um, apparently Arabian Nights was a world that was splintered into two, 1,000 worlds. So there were many Aladdins. But in, in their own way, every Aladdin was a Legend. So we kind of the community decided to have like monocolored uh, legends so you have like uh, Aladdin and Sindbad and Uncle Istvan and all these crazy ones you can also play them as a commander so you have for each color at least one legend that you could play so it's a great format it's just a ton of fun you have to uh, be prepared to get wrecked by uh, Library of Alexandria but that's totally fine it's just <laughs> a ton of fun is there, is there a website we can put in the show notes for the, for the format is there anything yes I can link that Awesome. So we're going to have that in the show notes as well. That's great. 
that takes us to our final question here um before we round up the show here it's gonna be mark what has your best magic trip been um i think that's a, that's a really cool question in lights of maybe you know traveling returning sometime next year and people are really eager to to play paper magic again so if you look back what what has your like single or like a couple of your best magic trips that you enjoyed the most what what were those so the the magic strip that i the magic trip that i enjoyed the most i think was back in 2007 it was my first gp that i ever played in my life in stuttgart it was also i think the last gp that was ever held in germany because uh, of our gambling laws i think we we had another one in 2010 in bochum but yeah that's oh that's maybe one of the maybe there ones. was one afterwards but it was one of the last gps in in germany and for me it was my first gp i was completely overwhelmed i had never seen that many magic players on one place i was like wow this is completely insane and then people like Gabriel Nassif were walking by and I was like, wow, this is a real person. I just heard about him, but this is insane. It was all new to me. And I was there with a bunch of my uh, friends from Munich. It was just an awesome trip. And then of course, what put like the, 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 the crown on that trip was was definitely that that this was my first GP and I I just got mega lucky. I had no idea about this this format back in the days, but I made top eight of my first GP I ever played in uh, limited, which is <laughs> absolutely not my format. Um, but I spiked it. I, I remember opening an insane sealed pool, going nine and zero, beating Gabriel Nassif on the way, and I was like this young guy that had not a lot of experience in Magic, and now seeing this all this new world for the first time and also winning <laughs> being the only one that's 12 and 0 with zero buys it was that that can never be topped i guess i i, I guess i guess then there's also the win in bologna which in its own way topped this of course and in bologna the favorite part was definitely the 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 dinner after i won i invited all the people that were still in, in the hall it was really funny everybody was like um, I re I actually reserved the table at the Italian restaurant before the top eight because I was like, doesn't matter if I win it or not, I'm gonna invite my friends to pizza. And then I won it and I was like, okay, everyone that's here in the hall, please follow me. I'm gonna invite you all to pizza. And that was just <laughs> insane. That oh, was dude. so great. I loved that dinner. That was the favorite part of the whole GP for me. But that was such an amazing weekend, especially like we were sitting at a restaurant and we were watching like through i think it was beer with two guns who was streaming the entire thing on on some discord i think me. actually two or three people um huh? it was me i was watching francis was like updating us constantly and yeah maybe it was actually him someone was also so francis was sending us messages like just every single update saying what's going on and i think it was bear who was like recording it as well and so we're all in this pub like just everyone glued to these two screens just like waiting for <laughs> updates you called it like guerrilla um re reporting or whatever it was like yeah, it was guerrilla, so exciting I, I don't know like we all jumped up when you won it was so exciting that was really great you also posted the video and sent it to me and i could really feel it and it was really that was so cool because wizards did not do any coverage of that event right and i i, I afterwards i posted on twitter that the unsung heroes are the ones that actually they actually featured the top eight bear with two guns he he filmed like the entire finals mm -hmm. you could see you can still find it on youtube i think it's just 
insane what the community did and then also you guys already hanging out in the pub but like being glued to your cell phones and i had a video of when when somebody said mark won it and you all got crazy and i was like <laughs> man this is the best day of my life I, it honestly felt like the best day of my life this was insane oh dude that's uh oh, that that's such great memories and like oh, mm -hmm. i can only imagine how great it must have felt for you man I'm, i was so happy for you that's, oh yeah, that's... I, I I guess the video <laughs> where I freak out when I win, it, it kind of got rival too, right? <laughs> A lot Honestly, of people that, saw that it. kind of video is one of the best advertisements for like Magic Wizards could ever wish for. Um, I, I don't think they ever used it for anything, but <laughs> that, dude, that's that's what. If you haven't seen it, I think I'm gonna put it in the show notes yeah, as dude. well. That's that's the moment <laughs> right after Mark won. Oh when, man, when I look get crazy down on in your that knees. video. But for everyone, disclaimer: I played two full days of Magic. Had to be mega focused. Every game was deciding. I was like, it was like such a huge burden that that it fell from my shoulders. So please be aware. I freaked out there. That's not my normal behavior. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope we we can see a lot more freakouts. Um, maybe in in maybe 2021. You know who knows. I I don't think there will be GPS in 2021 because like of how long the planning and everything works. But who knows? Maybe maybe something else. So oh that that that's that stuff. Especially from Bologna, that really gives me some of my paper fix. Even just watching it. Wow, guys, this has already been our longest episode ever this is like right now we're sitting at two hours 40 i yeah. think we're gonna call it a day here How, what do you think i think so we did actually before it started we were like okay we'll uh try it because we had so much to cover we're like, let's try and keep it slow but i mean shorter but there was nothing to skip it was just all, all fucking it was all fantastic <laughs> awesome Mark, thank you so, so much for coming on. I'd love to have you back on, you know, future episodes if you, if you talk about, like you we'll already mentioned a couple one. of things you'd love to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Those are always popular as well. Um, that's just like, you know, the hot topics of magic, the <laughs> hot topics of legacy. It's it's always ban lists, sideboard guides, and and that's pretty much what everybody wants. Do you now. have a sideboard guide so, for Oko bannings? <laughs> <laughs> now it's getting deep. <laughs> if you want to support everything or anything that we are doing there's like many different ways you can leave a review on itunes uh, you can like tell your friends all about this honestly i think that's one of the most underrated things for that you can do to support your favorite creators just tell people about it whether it's online whether it's in you know in paper <laughs> it's like magic players don't say in real life they say in paper <laughs> <laughs> but you can also support us on patreon so patreon.com slash everyday channel and become a patron join our discord submit your your questions join our food porn channel which i actually opened just today because for some reason our discord spiraled into everybody posting awesome dishes and then that one thing led to another and now there's tons of food on, on, the, on the food porn channel so mm -hmm. you can join that by becoming a patron and yeah that's uh, by the way mark where can people find you on social media what what's your twitter what's your twitch what's your OnlyFans? So the best way to contact me is definitely via Twitter. You can always tweet me. Uh, my hashtag is I came to game with an underscore between all the... Is that your um, hashtag? <laughs> not my hashtag, sorry. My my ad, my Twitter handle, I guess it's what it's called, yeah. is I came to game. And um, you can always ask me there. I I really respond. I, actually, I think so far I responded to every question I got on Twitter and um, then of course you can watch my twitch channel it's twitch.tv slash pemmin and with two m's right two m's that's correct I, I think that's just it awesome cool so 
I want to give shoutouts to our Patreons who are making all of this possible, um, especially, you know, our Eternal Witness Patreons, Valerio, Tommy Hinks, Trent Browers, Testicular, and Moritz Vogel, as well as our Grizzlebrand supporters, Victor Bernhardt, Baju Bat, Scott Monroe, Kulish Aliste, Jeremy Gates, and Henry Korkutz. Thank you so, so much for all your support. If you want to find out more about Everyday Eternal, you can hit us up on at EternalMTG on Twitter. That's probably the best way other than our Discord to submit questions or suggestions for future episodes. And let us know how you feel about Sauerkraut. Uh, I'd actually love to hear from more people because I, my interactions with Sauerkraut have really been limited to my sister and my mother actually drinking it for like only drinking Sauerkraut juice for two weeks because they read about the health benefits. And maybe that's why I still feel weirded out by Sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> You know, yeah, sorry guys, I, I really have to leave the call now. Um, I, I'm so hungry for sauerkraut. I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, retain myself anymore. Sorry. Stay tuned. Next week we're actually going to have a sauerkraut sponsorship. I don't know how and where, but it's going to become a thing. <laughs> the, the video from <laughs> so Bologna is actually Mark just like going crazy. Not because he won the GP, he was just so hungry for sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we're going to call it a day here. Uh, let us know about your feedback. Let us know if you're going to pick up miracles, how much sauerkraut you can eat in a single day. And I think that's that's going to be it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. See you, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.